Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. We all recognize he is a clown, that he is hilariously un- unqualified for this, that he's really bad at this, and that he does not have America's best interests. We recognize he's just fucking crazy. But it'd be fair to question the intellect of the American voter. Oh, no, they're stupid shit. James O'Keefe, how are you? Give a comment, sir, about the Russia story. The more I seen it, constantly, like, Russia this, Russia that. Because his ratings... I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. I think the thing is that big nothing but I'm changing it from fake news, though. D- doesn't that under very fake news? I know, but aren't you? He doesn't believe anything. We recognize it's just fucking crazy. Mr. Zucker, this is James O'Keefe. How are you? Give a comment, sir, about the Russian story. Fake news. We continue our American Pravda investigations inside America's mainstream media with part three on CNN. I'd like you to meet Jimmy Carr. He's a producer for CNN's morning show, New Day. His unvarnished and hate-filled opinion of President Trump gives us an insight into how people at CNN really think. CNN, it's an impartial, right? Do they... Theory. What's the view of Trump in, in like the kind of me- media circle? Basically? On the inside, we all recognize he is a clown. That he is hilariously un- unqualified for this. That he's really bad at this, and that he does not have America's best interests. We recognize he's just fucking crazy. I mean, because look, here's the deal: this is a man who's not actually Republican. Actually, he just adopted that because that was the party he thought he could win it. He doesn't believe anything that these people believe. The man's on his third wife, I guarantee you he's paid for abortions. He doesn't give a shit about abortion. He doesn't care about gay marriage. He doesn't even really care about the budget. Right. The man's upping the budget even though he promised to, to rein it in. You mean he'd be pro-gay manager? Yeah. I don't, think, think, I don't think he gives a shit. Our critics will say Jimmy Carr only speaks for himself. But he told us in no uncertain terms that almost everyone at CNN agrees with his sentiments. 90% of us are on board with just, with just the fact that he's crazy. What do you mean, 90% are on board what? The, like, uh, with, with her? No, I wouldn't say with her, but just acknowledge the fact that he's finished. Carr doesn't have a very high opinion of CNN's audience either. Yeah. Would it be fair to question the... I don't want to be rude here. Be careful how I put it. You're at least some percentage Irish Scottish. Would it be fair to question the intellect of the American voter? Oh, no, they're stupid shit. <laughs> His harsh words didn't stop there. Now, and of course, the thing that pisses the White House... White House because we actually had uh, that awful woman, Kellyanne Conway, you know, the blonde... Who's, who's sorry, Kellyanne who? Conway. What's she look like? The, is she the one with the... She looks like she had hit the shovel. Carl reiterated what we've heard from other CNN staffers that we filmed. This is John Bonifield from CNN's Atlanta headquarters. Did you get the location this time? Paul Fari of the Washington Post? 
the more I see them constantly like Russia this, Russia that. There's this ratings. Those ratings? Our ratings are incredible right now. And he goes, just to give you some context, President Trump pulled out of the climate accords, and for a day and a half we covered the climate accords, and the CEO of CNN said in our internal meeting, he said, good job everybody covering the climate accords, but we're done with it, let's get back to Russia. (laughs) Carr reaffirms that it's CNN's brass that wants the Russia story because it's good for the ratings. Money. It's decisions made by people higher than me. And if they go, wow, you got your ratings are soaring right now, keep up what you're doing. Well, what we're doing is is Russia, ISIS, London terror, shooting in Chicago. That's it. Carr says it's ratings. And CNN host and political commentator Van Jones says the Russia story is fake news. Well, the Russia thing is just a big nothing but Really? You don't think that... Uh, It now seems pretty clear that CNN's bias and dishonesty is a plague in the once respected news organization. This is New Day with Chris Cuomo and Alison Camarado. Jimmy Carr works for New Day, CNN's morning show. It's hosted by Alison Camarado and Chris Cuomo, who once said our methods can be quite effective. James O'Keefe is definitely someone who's identified with the right, but Eric Garner's daughter isn't, and she's the one who said that Al is all about the money. She was caught on tape not knowing she was being videotaped, so she wouldn't have said that. Sometimes that's when you're the most honest. Well, there you go. Funny enough, we found further evidence of CNN's culture of malpractice and deception on New Day itself. On March 30th, Carr's show aired what looked to be a pretty routine political story featuring Camerata and a panel of six Trump voters. So here we are, 60-plus days into his presidency, and we want to get your grades and your impressions of how President Trump is doing. The raw audio of the panel interview was leaked to us. It lasted nearly an hour and a half, cut down to only eight minutes when it aired. What's striking is not what Carr and his fellow producers chose to include, but what they chose to omit. It's called selective editing. Let's look at this portion when panelist William Baer is discussing the president's claim of voter fraud. And we don't know how, the, as far as the votes and fraud and everything else, I mean, my, my assumption is that he probably would have gotten elected by, by a higher number than what the results actually showed. But are you saying that you believe that there were three to five million illegals who voted? Oh, I, I, well, I know that in New Hampshire. I've seen it. I've seen busloads Again, of I mean, people. This is, this is what we keep coming back yeah. to. When you say you've seen it, do you mean a dozen or do you mean three million? There's a difference. Well, I, well obviously, I didn't, there's only a million and a half people in New Hampshire, so I didn't say three million people. Well, in New the, the number that President Trump said was three to five million so, illegal. No, I, well, I, well, I don't doubt that. No, he said in California. Extrapolating based on what I've seen with my own eyes, busloads of people coming in, whether they're illegal, meaning they came into the country illegally, or they're illegal or double, voters, double they came over from Massachusetts into New Hampshire. Billy, are you sticking with your that you've seen busloads or no? I, I have seen busloads. I, I, yeah, I guess I can't cite. The, the busloads that I've seen and where I've seen them, and stuff, but I've, on television I've seen it. Bear is painted as a conspiracy theorist. Look at the on-screen Chiron. Quote, Trump voters on his unproven voter fraud claims, unquote. The implication, no evidence of voter fraud whatsoever. When Camerata asks for proof, the panelist has no answer. Or so it seems. Here's the raw audio from immediately after the edit. I, I have seen busloads. I, I, yeah, I guess I can't cite the, the busloads that I've seen and where I've seen them, but I've, on television I've seen it. 
And, um, I mean, has, has anybody looked into, like, the, the, what James O'Keefe has done when he went undercover to these various polling places? I, I, I know, but it, no, he went in and basically was ready to vote as somebody else. Nobody asked for ID. I've, I've, I was actually a poll watcher in New Jersey, and I saw what was going on there. There were college students voting, and there was no, there was basically, oh, you, you use a, that's right, or you use a provisional ballot, and it's never challenged. They just put it right through. I mean, I, this, I, is, this is, this is common. At the moment Bayer is about to cite the evidence to support his claim, CNN ends the clip. The piece suggests that Bayer did not have a legitimate answer to Camerata's question. In actuality, the answer was cut because it didn't fit their narrative. This is a textbook lie of omission. In the last week, CNN's credibility as a news organization has been put in serious doubt. We wondered what CEO Jeff Zucker would have to say about it. This is James O'Keefe. How are you? Give a comment, sir, about the Russia story. Okay. That was pretty cowardly there, wasn't it? Zucker did not wish to talk to me. That's not surprising. His network has been exposed as not merely just biased, but corrupt and deeply dishonest. His leadership must now be in question. In the final analysis, this is about a conflict of visions between a dying legacy mainstream establishment media that seeks to characterize and interpret reality versus an American people that craves unfiltered, raw, real, true information. No more fake news. And another podcast, another Project Veritas video on CNN. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's Tony Rage, the 3rd of July, year of our Lord, 2017. And today's going to be an interesting show. Not even going to give it titles. I'm just going to go into faux outrage. We're going to have two segments on crazy faux outrage from Twitter. And I think I just want to theme this faux outrage. Faux. Because this whole thing... It's fake. It's drummed up. It's silly. Before I could even do this podcast, the first faux outrage, or the second faux outrage I was going to cover, which is the Morning Joe craziness, there was a third one when Trump did a mean tweet and the whole the whole world lost their damn mind, even though most of us didn't even know that was tweeted because most of us don't follow every tweet. But that's that's our media. That's where we're at. So let's close the loop on previous podcasts and uh, get on in to new faux outrage. Great tweet by Rich Weinstein, and I'm sensing a pattern. CBS producer, voters are stupid. Guy who crafted Affordable Care Act, voters are stupid. Ben Jones, a fiction novel who did the Iranian deal and said, Americans are stupid. And Susan Rice, Americans are stupid. Why do Democrats think Americans are stupid? I know it has a lot to do with the fact that you have your media handlers and you can pretty much get away with whatever you want. I mean, you're not going to ever get called on anything because they're your friends. 
but when you really break it down, it's pretty amazing how Dems can get away with saying stuff like this. And it's not over the, all over the world. I mean, if a Republican says somebody's stupid, what happens? But they think they can do whatever they want. I'm about to say something and do a pregnant pause. I just wanted to sit in. Dems draft bill that could activate 25th Amendment powers to remove Trump. That's right. They watch the West Wing. They now know what the Constitution is, and they believe his mental illness will allow them to enact the 25th Amendment to remove the President of the United States. What else are these people going to try other than assassination themselves? I was talking to my better half the other day. I think that's where it's going. They've tried everything. They try to block this. They try to block rogue electors. They've done everything. I truly be, believe that the base of the Democratic Party, like Patrick, want him assassinated. And I would not be surprised to see a Democrat actually shoot the president. I, I would not be surprised to see that. I wouldn't be totally shocked at all if there was a State of the Union address, Trump walked in the chamber, and one of them idiots shot him. Because that's how crazy they are right now. They truly believe they're the only people that can run the country. And as we'll see how many times over the next two hours of this podcast, you're going to hear how dangerous he's inciting violence and all this great. They're the ones that are inciting violence. Even our lighter fare today shows the hyperbole has gone out of control. Funny or die, a liberal institution did one. So here's Cecile Richards talking about defunding Planned Parenthood. Now let's flip it up. I'm going to go with NBC blaming Republics for rancor because I just want you to hear it. Because I just, you know, I always say that was what's going to happen. It's what's happening weeks after the shooting. And then we'll have Cecile Richard talking about defunding Planned Parenthood and just listen to the crazy shit she says. But in truth, it began. I did not have. Under another president. The Drudge Report is a media gossip page known for below the beltway reporting, and it's gaining a reputation as a growing irritant to the White House. You are, you admit, a conservative, and you have increasingly targeted the Clinton White House. Well, I go where the stink is. The Democrats and their fear-mongering. What was once relegated to talk radio exploded on TV. The launch of Fox News in 1996, taking it to another level fighting against what was perceived as a liberal bias in the media. He's the guy that's on your no, side. I'm on your side. You said you were on my side. No, no, you got his confused. But when administrations changed, the pendulum swung the other way. I accuse you, Mr. Bush, of lying this country into war. Today, even more tangled with the web. The result, what can feel like permanent polarization. Donald Trump's position on Planned Parenthood has been sort of strange over time. If you look back at the debate in February of 2016, he said, quote, millions, this is in a Republican debate, millions and millions of women, cervical cancer, breast cancer, are helped by Planned Parenthood. That's right. I would defund it because I'm pro-life, but millions of women are helped by Planned Parenthood. He took heat for taking the side of Planned Parenthood. He said more recently that... 
if you stop performing abortions at Planned Parenthood, you could keep all your federal funding. Is that something you ever would consider? No, I think it's really important, Willie. And I look, I appreciate the fact that you said and recognize what I think most people in America recognize. In fact, 80% in the latest poll that Planned Parenthood provides vital health care for millions of women in this country. And Donald uh, Trump recognizes that. Exactly. And that's because it's true. I mean, there one in five women in this country have been to us for health care. It's, it, it's just a fact of the matter. And the thing I don't really understand, and I would challenge any member of the United States Senate or Congress, is if you really want to reduce the unintended pregnancy rate and the need for abortion, you should be funding groups like Planned Parenthood that actually every single day do more than all this political wrangling do to provide women basic access to health care, detect cancer early, uh, you know, give give birth control to folks who need it to prevent an unintended That proposition pregnancy. from the White House is a non-starter. Stop Absolutely. performing abortions and you'll keep your money. It doesn't even make any, it doesn't make any sense. It's a legal right that women have. Oh, I get it. You do 1,096,000 abortions a year with your emergency contraception kit put on top of 328,000. And if we fund you, you'll have less abortions. And you notice when he says that's something you do, she didn't even answer it. Because you know why? They couldn't make $1.5 billion if they weren't doing abortions. That's where they make their money. They say it's 3%. Statistically, when you do the only 328,000 abortions compared to the 776,000 emergency contraception morning after pills, which are abortion to religious group. So all about the numbers, folks. All about the numbers. Claire McCaskill, remember she admitted she actually met the uh, Russian ambassador? Well, now she donated uh, to a foundation connected to the Russian ambassador. Donated a total of 1,000 to the American-Russian Cultural Cooperation Foundation. I smell collusion. Why is the mainstream media not covering that? Why? We are ruining people's lives over collusion because they knew Trump or they talked to Trump once and then they talked to a Russian and then they have to retract all the stories. But somehow, Claire McCaskill giving money to the Russians, meeting the ambassador, is okey-fucking-dokey. She doesn't recluse herself. She doesn't do a Jeff Sessions. And once again, hey, I, I know Russia's bad. I'm just saying, if you're going to go around and do the McCarthyism that the Democrats are doing with the media right now really is doing for them because the media is the Democratic Party. Why can't you shoot your gun at everybody? Why isn't Claire McCaskill getting grilled? What did you talk to them about? Why did you give this $1,000? You hate America. Idiots. Terrorism. Czech Republic plans to combat terrorism by arming its citizen. Australia. Responds to terror threat with three-month amnesty to allow people to turn in illegal firearms. <clears throat> yeah. I'll bring that up because that's the damn dream. They want that someday. Feds confirm ISIS investigation underway in North Carolina. I just want you to know, for those that think it's all bullshit and why we should have everybody in and every American should get a Syrian refugee because that's the right thing to do, there are 1,000 active FBI investigations into ISIS-related threats encompassing all 50 states. There's 1,000 investigations countrywide. These are all people that Obama co-led in. Because there's, you know, nothing. Nothing. 
man who threatened Florida representative. Uh, he wasn't an elite, so he goes to jail, some lib says. But in the court for his mental health evaluation, St. Felix, which is his name, just had an outburst. Marco Rubio, Nelson Diaz, Manny Diaz, Manny Diaz Jr., Carlos Jimenez, Radloff. Torturing my son, man. Get him out of here. He continued. All right, cameraman. All right, Marco Rubio, West Miami, right? That's right, baby. Tyrant fall in the hallway, shouting about his two sons and Marco Rubio. So this guy is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. For the AHCA, we still are having our die-ins. A die-in happening right now in Houston, in uh, St. Pete, San Diego, downtown uh, Indianapolis had one. Yeah. They're, they're still trying that. Them and the handmaiden we're about to talk to in a bit. Yeah, we're, we're still protesting. Vox, defenders of waterboarding call Senate health care bill morally reprehensible. Somehow they thought that was going to work. To Jim, I want a Pulitzer, but really I'm working for a Grammy Acosta. Sarah Huckabee Sanders taking questions from the porters of the White House briefing. Video this has been banned by the USA. It's still going. By the way, the Clinton administration didn't have video. They did this sometimes. They didn't have video all the time. I just want you to have the facts, because you're never going to get it. But, you know, we don't get that here. Mark Dice, who knew CNN's White House press correspondent was a comedian. Pull yourself together, man, was Chris Hoax. Nick Lentz, you need to relax. Somebody made fun of him. We are not fake news. Acosta from Hail Razor, my favorite. You're like a Tiananmen Square hero standing bravely against a tank of an oppressive government ban of grandstanding on camera and makeup. Speaking of bad videos, will you play Van Jones stating Russia stuff is nothing burger? Someone get some ice for Jim. Red Dirty Reddy said. Tina Eubanks, how about an idea? Follow the rules and get out. Pretty simple. A concept most people learn by the age five. Everyone's had enough of CNN. He then tweeted, sadly you won't be able to watch this moment on camera of video coverage. Today's briefing was outlawed by the White House. Or I mean the USA. It just kept going on. Somebody finally said that no one wants to hear your screech about the USA. Then he went on a tweet tirade. I'm old enough to remember when people said we should ignore the tweets. Bo Davidson, I'm old enough to remember when news was actually news. Another one, I'm old enough to remember when media was fair and unbiased. Do you? The tweets should be televised. Demand it, Jim. You, Jim, are a far-left activist charading as a journalist. The jig is up. Your credibility has flown. You tweet inappropriately all day long, you drama queen. So here's Jim on TV still freaking out about it, and it's going to go straight in to the rant dude. In the last podcast, we played another guy trying to get a Pulitzer Grammy, standing up about yelling about them destroying the media and blah, 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 being all sexist, if this was Democratic White House, it'd be sexist to talk to Sarah Huckabee this way, but since she's a Republican GOP whore, as they say all over Twitter, Twitter, uh, this guy was, he's a fucking head case. Someone tried to track him down. 
Listen to it. It's going to go Jim, grandstanding, and then Twitter rant or a briefing rant, dude. Coverage of the president is tough. That That's the territory that we're in right now. Uh, but I think to paint everybody with a broad brush is just not the right thing. And, and Wolf, what we're witnessing right now is just this erosion of our freedoms in terms of covering the president of the United States. The president has only held one full news conference since the beginning of his administration. That was in February. That's way be- behind the average of other presidents in modern times. Uh, this issue of turning off the cameras in the briefing rooms. Wolf, I could hold up my, my phone tomorrow and live stream uh, that press briefing with Sean Spicer or Sarah Sanders, whoever comes in there, and that is just where technology is right now. So I, to think that we're going backwards and not having things on camera, to me, is just preposterous. You have to accept the fact that in poll after poll after poll, the American people believe that major news uh, organizations are biased to the left. And I think you would do the American people a lot of good if you look at not just Trump's polls, but your own poll numbers. You're suffering credibility because they feel like you have it against this president and against conservatives. And we should all stop that. Isn't part of the reason why that those numbers are being driven down is that the president is driving them down? No, Jim. You have to own it yourself. You have to own your own actions. When he tells half the country that we're enemies of the people, how can you stand by that? Why have you, as a Republican leader in this country, have not have not? Jim, I don't. You're not my enemy, but this is why it doesn't work because we're shouting at each other. Yeah. Yeah. cover the White House. There are other reporters that work for the same organizations that if you want to hold someone's feet to the fire, you go to the source, not to the people who are in here covering the White House. They didn't. Are you kidding? They didn't. How many people? You're a fan. All right, I get it. I get it. How many journalists? I get it. You have. I get it. You have a point of view. I get it. I get it. I get it. You have a point of view. But the problem? No, you didn't. You have. You have a point of view, and I understand. You have a point of view, but you don't understand journalism. You don't understand what we're really here for, and that's what pisses me off. You're like every other goddamn guy that comes in with a fucking opinion. And instead of listening, instead of really finding out the issues, you want to you want to grandstand at the end of a goddamn meeting. Go up to the hill. Go find the Democrats that you're pissed off at and hold their feet to the fire. Well, then why? Yeah, but standing here, pissy, getting pissy here is like going to an NFL football game and bitching them out about the the rules in the NBA. Everybody it doesn't make any sense. Everybody in there interrupted Spicer. So my question is, no. Obama prosecuted more journalists under the Espionage Act. Don't get me started on that. That pisses me off, okay, too. And I'm glad you're an honorable guy. I, I, look, I disagree with what you say, but will defend to death your right to say it. That's the basis of the First Amendment. I firmly believe in it. I firmly believe you have every right to say anything you want. I support you in it. I think so Ann Coulter should have been able to speak. I didn't cuss. I That's not the though. point. That's the whole point. You Why do people get mad? You came, here's the fun. analogy. You came to the NFL mm-hmm. to bitch about the NBA. That's where you went wrong. Okay, well, I disagree, but I appreciate the feedback. Well, you can disagree all you want, but facts are facts. I'm Brian. I don't... Look, anytime... 
Just remember, boys and girls, on the first one, because you heard Acosta literally have the balls to say he's only taken, only done two press conferences. Obama had the lowest rating or lowest number of press conferences since Reagan. He had the lowest. When it averaged out, when he did a whole bunch of the beginning and the end, because he was doing the bailout, it was every 1.76 months he did a press conference. But that's not actually true, because it took a lot longer. And listen to the ranter, dude. Do you see how fucking unhinged our reporters are? They've taken it so personal now. They have issues. I mean, that guy is fucking unhinged. How the hell is he getting the White House to begin with? I know if it was a Democratic president, that fucking soundbite would be all over your airwaves right now. First of all, he's been racist because he talks shit to President Brock the anointed one Obama administration that way. And then he threatens him. Really? Really? That's okay. Sure it is. Because Susan Rice suggests race gender bias linked to unmasking backlash. It's not that she's a sorry fucking hack who lied to the American people. No, that has nothing to do with it. It is all about race and gender. She's a black woman. She's a white woman. They wouldn't be looking into why this administration illegally unmasked stuff to start a political probe into the next president. You know, back in the day, the cute things was the Clinton administration removing all the W's from the typewriters. Now you have illegal classification unmasking. <laughs> Democrats, they can always take it up a notch, can't they? So we're going to go into our tweet of the days, but I want you to once again see on June 28th, because the media is not showing Project Veritas, and when they do address it, it's deceptively edited. Here's Van Jones on the 28th of June, saying Russia is a nothing burger. I am glad that there is a Russia investigation, and I hope they get to the bottom of it. I think Democrats are fooling ourselves if we think that something's going to come out of this investigation and somehow it's going to end the Trump presidency and make everything better. It's Unless there's a real smoking gun, which there's probably not, it's just going to be a big old mess. Meanwhile, we're not talking about jobs, not talking about poverty, not talking about solutions, not talking about the addiction crisis. Let's talk about our stuff. Spot on, but you'll never see that soundbite either. From PETA, present your best argument for eating bacon. I'm not even going to read it because it's just fantastic. <laughs> there are people all over the place. Even a politician, uh, oh God, I can't remember his name. He had like everything bacon with bacon ice cream and he sent a picture to PETA. You know why we eat PETA? PETA, do you know why we eat bacon? We don't eat PETA, because that'd be weird. Um, let's, let's be honest. It tastes good, alright? Get a fucking grip. This one, I found on a tweet. It is just fucking horrible. 
But it further justifies why I'm always talking why we should have a travel ban and why the Barack Hussein Obama administration should go down as the one of the most failure, just failing foreign policy president we ever had. All you're hearing this week is statistics about how under Barack Hussein Obama we had a 67% approval with the world and now we're down in the 30s with Trump and people aren't, or they're scared. Just remember, he said these people were the JV. He said these people were the JV of Al-Qaeda. He further put down red lines and did nothing about it while people were getting gassed. This is a real story, boys and girls. It's not from a right-wing blog. It's not fake news. Yazidi politician reports ISIS fed a starving prisoner her own baby. While feminist media continue to lament the so-called war on women in America, the real war is happening abroad, especially in ISIS-controlled regions of the Middle East. One of the most horrific examples of the terrorist group's violence, yet a starving Yazidi woman was held captive without food for three days before being offered a plate of rice and meat. After consuming the meal, she was informed that she had just eaten the flesh of her one-year-old son, who had also been captured by the militants. And another example of ISIS brutality, targeting targets towards women, a 10-year-old girl was raped to death in front of her father and sister. The appalling news was reported by Vion Dakil, one of the two Yazidi members of Iraqi's parliament, and a woman who has worked tirelessly to advocate for her oppressed people. As an educated, determined female and practitioner of a religious minority, Dakil is at top of the ISIS hit list. I am now their most wanted woman. They fed her baby to them. Why the hell haven't you heard that? Why is that not in the media? Sweet Lord. That is just horrible. Momo. I can't wait until journalists are forcing bakers to bake them wedding cakes. Do journalists have separate bubblers or drinking fountains for those of you who don't know how to talk? Now I understand why journalists are so bad at their jobs, separate but not equal education. It's hard out there for CNN employees. The credibility has been taking some serious hits lately. It's going to take a big-ass shovel to dig their way out of this hole. But reliable sources host Brian Seltzer, which is neither reliable or a source, is stepping up to the plate to defend his and journalism's honor. Too bad he couldn't quite do it without blaming other people for journalist president present woes. Journalism. Here's what I see, a divide between pro-journalism and anti-journalism. People on the left, right, and in between who are pro-J recognize that most journalists try to be fair and right. No, we don't. Accuracy and credibility are a currency. Haven't been credible lately, nor accurate. Checks and balances and layers of editing are guardrails. When screw-ups happen, corrections are made and lessons are learned. Newsrooms are imperfect, but hopefully improving all the time. Media critics and persnickety readers and sharp-elbowed competitors all play an accountability role. The consensus pro-J view, as far as I can tell you, is that CNN made mistakes with the Russia-related story last week, that the company took serious actions as a result, and that it hopefully will learn from this affair. No, you didn't. First and foremost, you don't do corrections. The print media puts a correction on a story that people already fucking read. 
Why would they go back and read it and find out it's wrong? They don't. Thirdly, because I like to do that instead of secondly, just go straight to thirdly or go A, 1, 4, D. Yeah, get it all confusing. Those people resigned. You didn't fire them. He then goes on. These activists and commentators don't promote accountability. They promote resentment and hatred. They claim that most, if not all, journalists have sinister agendas, that newsrooms are occupied by enemies of the people, and that the evil MSM is propaganda. These anti-J people claim that reporters routinely cover up good news and invent bad news. I notice a disturbing increase of terrorist lingo, like CNN is ISIS, a phrase promoted by Alex Jones. Some of this anti-journalism spin isn't about eradicating bias or improving news coverage. It's about trying to stamp out reporting altogether. It's nutty, but it's insidious. And that's why I'm bringing it up. Millions of Americans are exposed to these extreme views every single day through social media. No, every day we're exposed to your lies and your liberal bias. Every day. So bad your ratings are so fucking in the tank. Got another one. It's worse. Anti-journalism is on the rise. Activists promote hate and resentment of the press. Critics makes new rules stronger. Pro-J encourages better journalism, but anti-J is something else. Trying to stamp out reporting altogether. He, 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 then he tweets the whole fucking thing all over. Stephen Fowler. Anti-journalism thrives when there's little understanding how journalism works. Many outlets make it easy for the public to hate them. The replies to my tweet storms are full of examples of anti-journalism point of view spreading hate about an entire class of American workers. Now he's trying the American workers. Oliver Darcy. Somebody mentioned in the last 10 minutes, the conversation's getting ugly. Stephen Miller. Anti-journalism, that's what we're going with? We're journalists, not political activists, with a byline. That's why we're labeling anyone who criticizes us anti-journalism. <laughs> he then tweeted, It's weird Washington Post who screams about free press just instituted policy against criticizing advertisers. Well, you're anti-journalism. Momo, Seltzer's just making up a new bigot type slur that J types could fling indiscriminately as a substitute for accountability. <laughs> How are you going to put an ist on that? Maybe you go journal obe. You're a journal obe. He then said, uh, could Seltzer go any further out of his way to prove everyone's point about what CNN has become? If you don't want to be labeled a political hack... With agendas, maybe don't start using language that political groups use. Heather sums it up. They won't change if they can dismiss us as crazy, hysterical, and calling them terrorists, traitors, etc. Is crazy and hysterical. And she's dead right. To back up this theory, how fucked up the media is. That they are not accountable that they don't, don't do retractions ever. Here's the New York Times. This has not been retracted. They never retracted this tweet. And this is how the bubble has ruined our media. All they know is New York and Los Angeles, folks. Chicago, maybe. This is an actual major... This is the paper of record. New York Times. Dozens of people were wounded by gunfire at a nightclub early Saturday morning in downtown Arkansas. Hey, 
tweet of the day! What the fuck? Sorry, Glibs. Arkansas is not a city. It's actually a state. I know, I know you don't like it because it's a red state, but oh well. They then printed the Constitution next to their editorial pages. Cited the 25th. Makes me think, who started that? Was it the Dems or was it the media that started it? Me thinks it was probably the media. Hey, guys, here's another idea. Why don't you invoke the 25th? Think progress editor. The credo of the resistance is never stop dreaming. Never. Ian Milheiser, who is the editor of Think Progress. In retrospect, we should have let the woman who won the election be president. Momo nailed him. Trump's a woman? How deep does this conspiracy go? (laughs) Vox. Queer villain reminds us that gay... Does not always equal good. And they go on to bash Milo Yiannopoulos. It just shows if you gotta stay in your lanes over there. You, you step out of your lanes, you're in a bad way. Mashable. Why Handmaiden's Tale costumes are the most powerful meme of the resistance. Eric Erickson from the same shallowness that thought hashtags could free kidnap girls in Africa. Heather, you've got to be fucking kidding me. How is dressing up like a book character powerful? From their article, they break it down. Women are holding sewing parties to turn yards of blood-red fabric into capes. They're swapping ideas on private Facebook pages about how to stage protests. They're even planning a coordinated demonstration where dozens of handmaidens simultaneously show up at state capitals or in other public places in cities across the country. If the visual striking meme takes off, it could become one of the most effective acts of protest from the resistance. The sight of even a dozen women wearing the handmaiden costume while staying silent and keeping their heads down offers a stark contrast to a group of mostly white men deliberating over what happens to their bodies. The imagery is practically made from the digital era. The point activists say is to send a powerful message. We're closer to a government that strips women of their bodily autonomy than you might think. New York Times did it. The Handmaid's Tale inspired a Hulu series. It then inspired a protest movement. Silence had heads bowed. The activists in crimson robes, crimson robes and white bonnet have been appearing at demonstrations against gender discrimination and infringement of reproductive and civil rights. The outfits are inspired by the character Handmaid's Tale, blah, 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 blah. David Ruitz, some high-quality news writing there by the New York Times. They go, they're pro-civil rights, so their opponents must be against it. How are, you know, here's the deal. It goes back to my rant, my blog, on the whole abortion thing. How are white men taking care, taking away a right? They're not. They're not taking anything away. Nobody is going after Roe v. v. Wade. Nobody's trying to ban abortion. They're just saying federal money should not pay for 776 abortion pills. That's all they're saying. Remember, not a single mammogram, not a single prenatal care was reported by Planned Parenthood. And they're taking the money, the $500 million that circles back about 40% of it to Democratic elections, and they're handing it to other health clinics so they'll continue the same thing. That's all they're doing. 
And to make it even more heinous, the hyperbole so heinous, if that money doesn't pay for abortions, why do you fucking care? If it truly doesn't pay for abortions, why do you care? You made $1.5 billion. You would have made $1 billion without government assistance. It's not going to change anything. And the pap smears, the prenatal care, the mammograms will be done by other institutions that just don't provide abortion. You believe abortions are right. Great. But nowhere in the Constitution does it say that American citizens must pay for somebody's mistake. Because that's what it is. If Starbucks workers who were reportedly triggered by a customer's Trump t-shirt would have kept their mockery to themselves, they might have been able to avoid an ensuing mega triggering. Basically, 50 people with pro-Trump shirts showed up at the Starbucks that we talked about last podcast and did sit-ins. And they stayed there for hours. They didn't say anything. They just sat there. And I want you to know that is beautiful. That is fucking beautiful. I love it. I think it's fantastic that conservatives are doing the same sorry shit that everybody else does. And you know what? In the future, I may join them. All you cool kids that think it's not cool to have an opinion other than yours, you're going to get yours eventually. You're going to get treated the same way you treat other people. You have sit-ins and die-ins and everything. Esquire, Eric Trump's new haircut is a little too white nationalist for comfort. Yeah, this is, this is real. This week in political style news, Eric Trump got a haircut. It's bad, but it's not just bad because he styled it firmly away from his face, creating a severe forehead arc. And it's not just bad because he used a handful of motor oil to slick it back like some bad Elvis impersonator. It's bad because it looks eerily similar to referred preferred cut of famed white nationalist Richard Spencer. We talked about this haircut before. It's called the high and tight. And while popular in Hollywood and hipster circles lately, it is more of a connection to Nazism than many guys feel comfortable with in Donald Trump's America. One in which virtually white nationalism is far too much of a foothold on non-fringe circles. Not a high and tight. It's a high taper. What's my notes? It's, it's a high taper. So now everybody with a high taper, including me, we're all white nationalists now. Seriously? That, that's where we're going with this? If you just have your hair a certain way, you're a racist? Really? Okay. CNN host Fareed Zakaria calls for jihad, rape a white woman. This is from his blog. The white race is rightfully failing because it's a foolish, arrogant, and self-absorbed ethnicity that has racism infused into its very genes. While the sharp incline of a death rate of white males is a good start, This is a real reporter. The solution to the white question will not be reached until there's a sharp decline in the population of white females as well. Much more needs to be done in this regard if this country is ever to advance from its ignorant backwardness towards being an actual inhabitable nation. 
Thankfully, the Prophet Muhammad has given us a foolproof way to speed up the decline of a vanquished nation by treating their women as our sex slaves. They may try and fight the unstoppable tide, but the resistance will grow only weaker as the white rate loses its ability to keep its head above water. We may yet see more final convulsions before white middle America has decreased to a manageable number where it can be more easily controlled. The blog post was moved from Zakaria's blog within a few hours after it began to receive negative attention. CNN officials have refused to take action against their employee, stating that there was no evidence of hate speech or racism in his writing. Some people are just being too sensitive, a CNN representative said. Someone's hurt feelings should not inhibit our free right to speech. Every death of a white person brings tears of joys in my eye, Zakaria posted on his Twitter account shortly after removing his blog post. That is fucking horrible. This weekend I was driving and I accidentally flipped channels on my Sirius in the car to CNN. Dan Senior was on and he said, uh, going back to your president who had low ratings, your president. How is that racist get a TV show? How? How? How is that not mainstream? Me see, go back to what my theme is. How is that not mainstream news? Limbaugh, Sandra Fluke's a slut. Nightly news. Fareed Zakaria, white people need to fucking die. Not nightly news. There's no liberal bias, folks. None. Maxine Waters, she's talked about impeaching. She's talked about all sorts of shit. But now she's gone even farther. As we go into our hypocrisy of the day... Women are outraged and fed up with this president. Impeachment isn't enough. Should we explore exiling him? Hypocrisy! What the fuck is this, Survivor? Are we going to Survivor now? This is an actual editor for Lifetime and FYI Network. I was going to put it in the hate, but it's just disgusting. And this shows you how fucked up our media is. This is an actual tweet. Her name is Leah Goldman, at L-E-A, if you want to actually research it. She did it on June 30. Trump's kryptonite is women's blood, so send your boxes of pads and tampons to the White House. Hashtag red resistance. Really. That, that's where we're going with this. Really. Under the title of Wanna Restore Credibility, CNN, this is not how to do it. CNN Politics, Obama's jeans game gets stronger. Super Andy asked, how is this news? Whole article on his jeans. Yeah. Variety, 
Another retraction. Vice retracts article about Donald Trump's animatronic robot at Disney. After a thorough investigation of the source of two stories, here's the secret backstage Trump drama at Walt Disney World Hall of Presidents and behind scenes of Disney's Donald Trump Hall of Presidents installation and the identification of several factual errors. We have decided to retract both pieces, Motherboard said in an editorial note posted Wednesday. We are conducting a full editorial review to pinpoint how the source was vetted and how these violations, these stories were approved and published in violation of our usual editorial workflow. We fell short of our standards, regret the area. It was all bullshit. He is going to be installed. They got to do it. He's the president. Bunch of stuff. Eric Geller nailed it. This is so much drama. Daily Coast toted it. Everybody toted it. They just toted it around. Anything anti-Trump, click it. Because he, she had more than 2.9 more votes than him, million votes. And somehow we're going to get more money if we go to those people. New York Times, yeah. Might not seem like much, but when news outlets like the Washington Post, New York Times vocally beef up their fact-checking efforts and introduce new slogans like democracy dies in darkness, just important for readers to go full whack-a-mole when fake news is given airing or even sue when old myths are revived like Sarah Palin's doing. On Thursday, the New York Times issued a correction to its piece on President Trump's deflections and denials about Russia, pointing out that the intelligent community as a whole never came to a consensus. This is the correction. A White House memo article on Monday about President Trump's deflections and denials about Russia referred incorrectly to the source of an intelligence assessment that said Russia orchestrated hacking attacks during last year's presidential election. The assessment was made by four intelligent agency, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, DNI, the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, FBI, and National Security. The assessment was not approved by all 17 organizations in the American intelligence community. Stephen, St- Stephen Molinex, New York Times, finally admits that the 17 intelligent agency Russia hacking narrative was a complete falsehood. Byron York, the New York Times issued correction on commonly made mistake conferring concerning Russia intel report. That has been going on forever. That has been going on since day one. That retraction is a teeny thing on the bottom of an article that everybody already read. And I guarantee if you went out in the street and you asked people who believes in our intelligence agency that Russia hacked the election and helped Trump. Oh, there were 17 agencies that came to it. Democrats have been saying that forever. There isn't even 17 agencies to start with. Do you see why I say the media is fucked up, folks? It's not a tinfoil hat. It's a fact. And remember, a tweet will go a hundred thousand times. It'll only be retweeted on the correction a hundred times. That's how they do it. And they know it. That's why they retract the same article. They want the agenda to go forward. To our media mash. Wolf Blitzer, danger, danger to journalist. Toad, danger. Cuomo, fake news whining. Atlantic, Atlantic editor, Trump, responsible journalists get hurt. Listen to who is more, who is moderating Katie fucking Couric during that one. Chris Saliza, Cuomo and some other libs. Danger, danger. 
Today's show blames Trump for New York City derailments. No shit. CNN takes a fucking cake. We're not complaining about video list the press conference. We're just pointing it out. Closed out with Tamara Holder, a loser that Fox won't even have on anymore. Sexist remarks about GOP women. With the White House communications team, have you raised the concern that all of us in the news media have about the president calling all of us enemies of the American people? Uh, because that is a very, very harsh statement and potentially very dangerous. Well, that's that type of rhetoric is something that we have spoken out about uh, since he first said that. And, and many of you probably were at or watched the White House Correspondents' Dinner, uh, and I addressed that then as well. That is, that is rhetoric that we uh, reject, and uh, it's just not something that I think is, is helpful to the public discourse. And it's not, again, it's just not something that's true. Um, I'd also like to just jump in on the issue again of, of briefings being uh, televised. Respectfully, uh, despite the position of Mr. McCurry and Mr. Fleischer, it's 2017, and it is uh, right. not only in the interest of uh, the members of the White House Correspondents Association who cover television and radio. Television and radio correspondents need sound and need pictures to be able to tell the stories of this administration. That's one reason why we're fighting for that. But also it is in the interest of transparency, and it's in the, the public's interest to be able to watch back and forth between reporters and the administration and uh, the elected leaders that they have put into office. And, and Matt, I know, I know you were... Welcome back tonight. Well, not just tonight. But I'm obsessed with the White House's war on the press and on media. And let's be clear about this. That war is nothing less than a war on the truth. Do we get it right all the time? Nope, we don't. And when we don't, we run a correction. And in some cases, people lose their jobs. That's what just happened at CNN. CNN took responsibility for its mistakes. You know, at this network, we've done it quite a few times publicly as well. But we, because we try to get it right. We take what we do seriously. Because trust, viewers, and readers' trust is all we have, and without that, we're nothing. And guess what? We all know we get fired for not telling the truth. And, of course, that's the point, isn't it? Of course, the White House attacks delegitimize the media to create running room for its version of events. It's as old as the media itself. White House is not above using anonymous sources to criticize the use of anonymous sources, nor to promote what even it admits could be a lie to call others liars. Here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders attacking CNN in an unbelievable way. Take a listen. There's a video circulating now, whether it's accurate or not, uh, I don't know. But I would encourage everybody in this room and, frankly, everybody across the country to take a look at it. Uh, I think if it is accurate, I think it's a disgrace to all of media, to all of journalism. Excuse me? You got that? I don't know whether it's accurate or not, but go take a look at it because it disgraces you? Seriously? And that's been this White House's M.O.? Peddle a false story to claim the media is telling false stories? Sarah Huckabee Sanders was just a bit more honest, apparently, about that White House dishonesty. So no, Mr. President, no White House press shop. The media is not the enemy of the people. We're just here to find, as Carl Bernstein put it so well, the best obtainable version of the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, can hurt us, and yes, even you, Mr. President. And the, the debate on this thing has been completely distorted using incorrect information. Well, two things about that. Uh, well, first of all, one thing, 
I know you're not suggesting that I'm using misleading information, right? You, no, you, no, you, you no, let no, me what, know what I'm saying that's no, inaccurate. Because what, this, what whole, I'm is the, this whole fake the thing needs to end and it needs to end right now. Chris, you tell the, me what the, I'm getting wrong or we'll deal with the numbers I'm not, the I'm not, puts I'm, not, I'm not accusing you. I'm talking about the fact people don't understand the 22 million and there was a wrong baseline. No score. Just simple red and green arrows. I don't know if you can see it where you are, but, you know, they go up the first couple of years and then they start going down. Um, there is a funny market system is a marvel. It works in other areas of our economy. We need to re-inject it into our health care system. All right, Senator Johnson, I always appreciate you coming on with your perspective. It would be great to have more of these debates. It would be great for them to be bipartisan. We always so Chris, invite you to you, do that here on New Day. So bring me into the studio. I'll have my charts when I get patient. We'll lay this out so it's as understandable as possible because it's really hard talking numbers just standing in front of a camera. That is a guarantee. You tell me when Good. you want to do it, we'll do it three times. And we're going to talk about sort of the use of the word lie in journalism in a moment. But, Jeff, when the president constantly tweets that different newspapers are examples of fake news, like the Washington Post or the New York Times, and, uh, you know, s accuses reporters of being fake news at White House uh, briefings or when he appears before reporters there, what's your reaction? Well, well part of my reaction is that we're we're – all engaged in a reality TV show, that, that this is a reality TV version of a war between a president and the press. Um, and I mean that in, in one specific sense. Right now, we're all benefiting. The weird part of this is, of course, when the New York Times and the Washington Post get tweeted at this way, their subscriber base goes up, right? More people subscribe and, and, and want to support them. The problem is, and this is what I, what I worry about more than anything else, is that, is that there are people in the country who don't understand that that this is a cynical reality TV game um, and are going to hear over and over again from the president that the reporters, journalists, are enemies of the state. And someone, I mean, God forbid, but someone is going to do something violent against journalists in, in, in a large way, and then I know where the fault lies. And, and that's that's the, and, and, and we're heading in this direction, and it's quite frightening. But in a less dramatic press in general, and the fact of the matter is, we're not fake media. We're here to do a job. Respect the job. We respect yours. And if you're not going to respect us, we need to speak up. Hey, Chris, I mean, at what point does this become dangerous? And I'm not just talking about dangerous oh, in terms of tearing point. at the social fabric. I'm talking about dangerous as in a journalist gets hurt because I can tell you, working overseas in war zones. You know, people are emboldened by the actions of this administration, emboldened by the all-out sort of declaration of war on the media. If I'm getting it in the neck, Chris, I can only imagine what someone like you is dealing with. At what point does this become reckless or irresponsible, Chris? Um, I mean, I don't want to say we're past that point. I, 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 I will we say are this, past Chris. That point. I, I, I think it is. I think it is already dangerous. What? the Trump administration is doing, which is we've to had, Brian's point, they are, they are trying to uh, take a, a, an honest mistake, or not even a mistake, and turn it into the norm as opposed to the rule as opposed to the exception, which is a very dangerous thing because that's willfully misleading, mm. frankly. And, the and idea that Dave Barenthold, who who was my colleague for a very long time and doesn't toot his own horn enough, the idea that he was attacked for for doing what he did had nothing to do with the quality of the journalism he was doing. It was 100% about that it was a bad, bad 
story for Donald Trump. In Donald Trump's world, the media is judged by you are good if you write things that are good for Donald Trump. You are objectively bad if you criticize Donald Trump. It is not our job to be liked by Donald Trump. It is not our job to report the news. Uh, Sean Spicer said this, Sarah said it yesterday. Well, you guys ignore the news that's important. Well, you know, I mean, I, I do think the Russian hacking of an election, so, the Russian hacking of an election is important news. Right. It's, it's not a, we, we can debate collusion. They're right. There's no evidence of that. But this is about the broader hacking of election. In Dave's case, it was about a charitable organization that didn't give to charity. Uh, for the the man who was running to be the president of the United States, it doesn't have to do with the fact that Donald Trump is a Republican nominee. I guarantee you a million times over, because I know Dave personally, if it was a Hillary Clinton Foundation doing the same thing, he would have done the same reporting. Right. That's, That's exactly what's maddening right. when you're watching this. It's, right. well, and so, Brian, to go point, ahead. To your point earlier that you were asking about safety, think about that. How many reporters have died for the cause? I've been jailed. There are 12 of us who have gone to jail to protect the first there are people who have been beaten. There have been people that have been threatened. Our newspapers, after Donald Trump's election, we've gotten threats from both the far left and the far right. They are emboldened. It is dangerous. And the fact of the matter is, it is insulting to the memory of the people who have given their lives for the cause, for providing information to the public, to then be told that you are fake media, you do not matter, and what you're doing is false. And quite frankly, every one of us should stand up against that because it is undermining the First Amendment. It is dangerous, making it dangerous for reporters. Mm -hmm. You are absolutely right. There's going to become a time, and it won't be, you know, it's not going to be too far off, I surmise, when we're going to see that a reporter is going to face physical harm because of this. Well, God forbid, nobody, want, to nobody wants to see that. It certainly wouldn't make the decision, uh, the situation anything any better. And I'll tell you what, I'm in no rush uh, to change positions with Clarissa Ward because I'll take on a war of words uh, even with the president. Can I bring up a question about this also? I, I saw this proposal from McCurry and Fleischer earlier today. Here's one of the flaws in that proposal. What if there's a terrorist attack? What if there's a hurricane? What if there's an earthquake and there's a need for... Uh, a live briefing here at the White House to talk about what's going on in the country. You know, that those kinds of uh, occasions do arise. As you remember with Ferg Ferguson, uh, can you imagine if we did not have uh, live briefings at the White House during Ferguson, for example? And th so the question becomes, does the White House control the switch? Do they get to make it live when they want it to be live? Do they get to switch it off when they don't want it to be live? There are cameras, Don, as we talked about the other night. Our cameras, our lights. It's our briefing room. It's not their briefing room. Yeah, and it's, you know, it is 2017. I mean, should we just go back to dial-up as well? I mean, it's, it's, right. kind, of, it's kind of ridiculous. I, I just want people to see the hypocrisy here. And it's not that we're, listen, reporters, we in the media are used to, you know, we taking the tough questions, uh, getting criticized. But this is just more about pointing out the hypocrisy in all of this. So listen, we're not complaining here. We're just pointing it out to you, everyone. What do you make of that full-scale defense? Elaine Chao, um, who's the wife of uh, the Senate Majority Leader, who uh, Donald Trump gave a job to, which is an interesting tactic as well, also defended him. What do you make of the women in Trump's life's response? I think that the women in Donald Trump's life probably have smaller minds than his small hands. Because if, if they had any... Um, any decency as women. Joy, you you have a father. If your father ever said anything like this about another woman, uh, you, you would probably grab him by the back of the neck, just like I would to my dad, and say, what are you doing? Apologize. 
he has continued to surround himself, Donald Trump, with very, very weak-minded women who are afraid of him. We are seeing Donald Trump explode from very, very far away. Imagine the fear that these women have when they're up close and personal with him. You can't fight fire with fire if you're standing right next to it. It's going to explode and you're going to blow up. So this is why he has surrounded himself with women who can't do anything other than defend him, kind of defend him, or just just not say anything. Yeah, I remember when the media used to always say the news should not be about us. They are more than happy to make the music, the, the news about them. Uh, Jim Acosta does it every day on every channel. Every time he can get a chance, that's what he does. Joy Reid on Meet the Press this weekend, which I was going to play it, but I had enough media mash. She really said the GOP doesn't give a damn about the common people. Joy Reid, the common people are in the red states that you deplore all the time, that you call horrible racists. You're just idiots. Um, I, 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 I'm to the point with the media that I think they really, really are frustrated because this is the first president to take it back to them. And they keep fucking up. They just keep making mistakes. Going with fake news to hurt the president. Because now it's personal. For them it's personal. They hate him so much. It has become personal for them. So they just keep on grabbing any anonymous source. Anybody that could say anything. I could send something to the Washington Post right now. Make the whole fucking thing up. It would get printed. They, they don't corroborate it. They just print it. Michael Goodwin did a good article. The media will do anything to bash Trump, and now they're hurting. It was many years ago, but the memory lingers of the first time I was embarrassed to be a journalist. And he goes into a story about a guy being a jackass. I laugh now at the outlandishness of the photograph photographer's behavior. By the time I cringe and wonder, do I really want to be a journalist and end up like that? America should be so lucky now. Bad manners are the least of it. In the sixth month of Donald Trump's presidency, you're witnessing an unprecedented meltdown of much of the media. Standards have been tossed overboard in a frenzy to bring down the president. Trump, like all presidents, deserves coverage that is skeptical and tough, but also fair. That's not what he's getting. What started as a bias against him has become a cancer that is consuming the best and brightest. In rough biblical justice, media attempts to destroy the president are boomeranging and leaving their reputations in tatter. He accuses them of publishing fake news and they respond with such blind hatred that they end up publishing fake news. He's right. He goes through all the different things, how many minutes are, are covered on crazy stuff. He's right, blah, blah, blah. For all the focus on Russia, the media totally missed a key point to wit the Obama administration did nothing about Vladimir Putin's attempt to interfere in the 2016 election. Of course, most media organizations spent eight years cheerleading everything Obama did, and it's no secret that members of this administration, along with career Democrats, are the anonymous sources feeding the anti-Trump narrative. Still, it is remarkable that if it weren't for an unproven allegation of Trump collusion, the media would have no interest in the Russia story at all. This despite the fact that leading officials, including both Democrat and Republicans, have called the interference an act of war. But it's a strange war, one that is important only to the extent Trump could be linked to it. Otherwise, who cares? 
really think about it. There's no reporting in regards to the hacking or anything. The only stories you get your hands on are ones that will hurt Trump. If it hurts Trump, it prints. If it doesn't hurt Trump, if it's something that doesn't really have anything to do with Trump, you're not going to see it. And the most important thing about it, I think really that I love about the whole story, because it, you know, fits my tinfoil hat. There's nothing about Obama. Nothing. And if you really break it down, the Obama administration knew this and they did nothing. And the media doesn't even care. Which is just unbelievable. Remember, George Bush was blamed for 9-11 when Bill Clinton had three chances to get Osama bin Laden and did nothing. But George Bush got a briefing where they talked about the airplanes, so it was his fault he didn't stop it. That came from the media. Chuck Todd doubled down. Anyone with a child under 18 has to be asking themselves, how do I explain the president's actions, especially since he faces no consequences? Replies to him, anyone with a child under 18 doesn't need Chuck Todd or any other member of the media worrying for them or their kiddo. What a bunch of horse crap. Maybe Chuck missed the last eight years or so, but there were plenty of embarrassing things Obama did with no consequences that actually affected children. But fear not, parents. Chuck and most of the news outlets will provide three days of nonstop commentary and analysis. Another one, I don't brainwash my kids politically, so as a responsible parent, and I answer questions honestly when they ask. And my favorite, a question from the 1990s. Chuck Todd, where the fuck were you during Clinton? Oh, I know, you're a DNC staffer. A media outlet finally asked, as SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center, jumped the shark. Finally, someone in the established media is acknowledging that the Southern Poverty Law Center has a credibility problem. Politico writer Ben Schreckinger raised the issue in a long piece June 28th as a civil rights stalwart lost its way. SPLC is a hate group that exists to scream hate at anyone on the right and scare aging hippies into sending money. Lots of money. Its organization whose designation of the Family Research Council is a hate group inspired a gay rights nut trying to kill everyone in the FRC office in 2012. It was founded to fight the Klan, but now it targets Christian groups, immigrants, think tank, immigration think tanks, and critics of militant Islam. And although Schreckinger clearly is a liberal, Trump swept in the Oval Office by disparaging Mexican immigrants, fanning Islamophobia, and activating a resurgent strain of racism rebranded as all right. Those are his words. And an admirer of SPLC founder Morris Dees, he doesn't shy away from criticism. William Jacobson, a law professor at Cornell and critic of SPLC, says the group has wrapped itself in the mantle of the civil rights struggle to engage in partisan political crusading. Time and again, I see the SPLC using the reputation it gained decades ago fighting the Klan as a tool to bludgeon mainstream politically conservative opponents. For groups that do not threaten violence, the use of SPLC hate group or extremist designation is frequently are exploited as an excuse to silence speech. And he's right. 
Yeah, totally right. Paul Joseph Watson has a YouTube channel. Here's his amazing takedown of CNN and their bias. Brian Stelter is butthurt that people are being mean to CNN. Boo-hoo. He's whining about InfoWars promoting hate and resentment towards CNN. Millions of people are exposed to extreme anti-journalism views daily. Example, memes equating journalists to terrorists. This is harmful. You want to talk about harmful? And all you've got is memes. I'll tell you what's harmful. Your network pushed a fake news narrative, Trump-Russia collusion, that your own producer admits was made up for ratings. Our ratings are incredible right now. You think the whole Russia shit is just like bullshit. I mean, it's mostly bullshit right now. That your own top contributor admits is a big nothing burger. The Russian thing is just a big nothing burger. A narrative that pushed two superpowers closer to World War Three. That's harmful. Your network pushed a fake news narrative. Hands up, don't shoot. We want you to know that our hearts are out there marching with them. That led to two mass shootings, riots, and a nationwide hate movement. That's harmful. Your network pushed a fake news narrative. Iraq having weapons of mass destruction that led to one million dead Iraqis and thousands of dead and maimed US troops. That's harmful. Your network pushed a fake news narrative about Syrian rebels being moderate. Show the U.S. I think that there is a significant amount of moderate rebels ready to take to the ground in Syria. That led to the rise of ISIS and an international migrant crisis. That's harmful. Your network pushed a fake news narrative about the Aleppo boy being a victim of Assad to propagandize for the invasion of Syria. We shed tears, but there are no tears here. He doesn't cry once. That little boy is in total shock. When his whole family were supporters of Assad and said their son was used as a propaganda tool by the jihadist rebels and by extension, CNN. Harmful. Some of this anti-journalism, it's insidious. I'll tell you what's insidious. Your network stage managing a protest to manipulate public opinion right after a terrorist attack. That's insidious. Your network burying the truth by reporting the Michigan airport terrorist said something in Arabic when it had been widely reported for hours before that he had shouted, Allah Akbar. That's insidious. Your network telling Americans it was illegal to read WikiLeaks. That's insidious. It's illegal to possess uh, these stolen documents. It's different for the media. So everything you learn about this, you're learning from us. Your network cutting off guests who even mentioned WikiLeaks. That's insidious. Hillary Clinton's a liar. She can't be trusted. And now the two faces of Hillary Clinton are coming out. The fact through WikiLeaks that she says one thing. Uh, and oh, no. Your network cutting off guests who mention a link between refugees and terrorism. That's insidious. 30%, 30% of their domestic terrorism cases that they're investigating are from folks who are refugees. It's important not to label all refugees bad people. I, I, that's not why I'm here. But your network pretending its own cameraman is a random man-on-the-street anti-Trump protester. That's insidious. One vote equals one vote. What's wrong with that? What's the debate? You definitely feel his passion. There's other people out here who feel the same way. Like you heard this man, very passionate about the idea he doesn't want Hillary to stop. 
Yeah, Brian, you know I used to live there, and I know that guy. That's John Gurkovic. He actually went to Africa with me as a cameraman. Your network's commentator giving debate questions to Hillary Clinton in advance. That's insidious. Your network telling debate focus groups what to say to make Hillary look good. That's insidious. That America already is great, but we are great because we are good. America's great. All right, so I want to ask you, what was it about Hillary Clinton's argument that resonated with you following Donald Trump's defense of the video? She stated that America is already great, um, and I tend to agree with that. Your network running cover for Black Lives Matter by editing statements to turn them into the complete opposite of what was actually said. That's insidious. Y'all burning down shit we need in our community. Take that shit to the suburbs. Burn that shit down. With his sister calling for peace. Don't bring the violence here and the ignorance here. Milwaukee police. Your network calling Milo Yiannopoulos an extremist. That's insidious. Most journalists try to be fair and right. When screw-ups happen, corrections are made. Screw-ups? Really? Screw-ups. A Harvard study found that CNN's coverage of Trump was 93% negative. 93%. 13 to 1 negative to positive stories. Is that just a screw-up too? Whoops, we just did 13 negative stories on Trump again. What a coincidence. Oh well, just a screw-up. That's not a screw-up. That's bias. That's not fair and right. That's having an agenda. Look. I'm biased, but I don't claim to be neutral. I don't claim to be an impartial journalist. The fact that you and everyone else at CNN is still claiming to be impartial is an insult to our intelligence. Your boy Jim Acosta whines every week about how Trump and the White House take questions from conservative media. Like, how dare they allow anyone to break CNN's monopoly? Here's a guy who got caught tweeting fake news about Trump not visiting Scalise in hospital. Every chance he gets, he's bitching about Trump. He's not fair, he's not impartial, he's not a journalist. He's an activist. Just be frigging honest about it. You wonder why there's all this hate and resentment towards you. It's not because people hate all journalists. It's because you lie all the time, you push an agenda, and you get caught. But then you have the arrogance to still claim that you're impartial. You have the arrogance to point the finger at us as the reason for you being reviled. You have the arrogance after all this to still claim you have the moral high ground. You don't have the moral high ground. People hate you because you lie about huge things. You lie about things that cause wars and violence on the streets. That's why people hate you. They're not anti-journalism. They're anti-fake news. They're anti-CNN. And you earned that hate because Oh no. What could be more triggering to libtards than my face and this slogan? Get your new premium quality, Conservatism is the new counterculture t-shirt right now at InfoWarsStore.com and let the butthurt commence. I love that guy. He's pretty funny. John Harwood tweeted, hashtag American Heroes. What was the response to? Some dork re- journalist saying... Every question Marco Rubio's got has been about healthcare. See, we're not distracted. Somebody 
tweeted back to him, comparing asking questions in a press pool in a free country to heroism is why Trump won by attacking the media. And they're right. Want to see another reason why there's media bias? Greta Van Susteren's already out at MSNBC. They already fired her. She's gone. She wasn't liberal enough. And you know why she wasn't liberal enough? This is an actual transcript from Chris Matthew. Chris Matthews. And then you find out in all these investigations that Jared was opening up a tunnel to Moscow so he wouldn't have a deal with the State Department. So the son-in-law, you know, one good thing Mussolini did was execute his son-in-law. I mean, I'm talking about Keanu, Frank Burns. Let's be careful here. Yeah. Matthews. That was an extreme measure, but this was, this is a strange situation. He then compared him to Saddam Hussein. You put Uday and who's Kusei in your government, you're going to have a problem with everybody else in the government because nobody can fight with them. Nobody can challenge them. And in the end, the son-in-law is always right because he can go always to his father-in-law or his wife and say, they were mean to me. Donald Trump Jr., given this week's outrage, I'm trying to figure out why this is okay and no one has a problem with it. Oh, never mind. Lib double standard. Tell me a day in America that Fox could have had a segment like that and it wouldn't be called over the top. Alright, stats of the day. Ice director, no illegal immigrant should be comfortable. And I totally agree with them. And remember, Nashville, you're about to be a sanctuary city. I got a stat that is going to blow your way, blow you away. And you know what that stat is? San Francisco just paid $190,000 to an illegal immigrant handed over to ICE because a city employee broke the sanctuary city rules. They paid them. They paid them. Taxpayers, that's coming to a court near you, folks. Father and teen son choke kidnapper, shoot him five times during attempted robbery. Won't hear that in the media because they used a gun. 43 people have been arrested while others remain at large. A Denver grand jury has indicted 62 people accused of marijuana trafficking organization that reaped millions of dollars by illegally growing pot and then selling it out of state. So I guess pot is very profitable still in Colorado. Illegal pot. Minnesota woman charged with fatally shooting boyfriend in a failed YouTube video stunt. I'm putting this in a stat because we're still having all this crazy fucking shit from people live broadcasting stuff. And to know, you know, to just sum up how stupid people are to become famous, because that was the exact words this guy said. The girl shot a book on his chest from two feet away with the desert eagle. And he really believed the book was going to stop the bullet. 
Taxpayers are funding animal tests for homemade abortions. The government is spending money to test herbal abortifacients on lab animals. Somehow I see a PETA group starting a Facebook picture campaign. Here's CNN's advertisers if you'd like to fight Career Builder, Johnson & Johnson, U.S. Home Auction, Jitterbug, Zurich Financial Services, Cisco, ExxonMobil, Joseph A. Bank, Hyundai, Dodge, AstraZeneca, Sprint, Nextel, Health Services, Partnership for Prescription Assistance, University of Phoenix, Livewell Financial, Liberty Medical, Overstock.com, Boston Market, Geico, Phillips Norelco, AARP, which makes total sense because they're a lib group, Wells Fargo, Select Quote, and Munix Precious Metals. A meme from Facebook. Lincoln's killer, a slavery-supporting Democrat. Garfield's killer, an escaped mental patient. McKinley's killer, an anarchist and socialist. J.F. Kennedy killer, avowed communist. R. Kennedy killer, an Islamist and communist. M.L. King's killer, a lifelong Democrat. So tell me again how conservatives and Tea Partiers are the dangerous ones. New York Times journos protest layoffs by walking off the job. But wait, I thought the readership's up and ratings are up. Justice Department gives up on Washington Redskins name fight. Thank God that stupid's over. Guy Benson, this week a favorable, unfavorable of Trump was put up and they were crowing the 40% from a USA Today suffix. USA Today, of course, being the liberal side of that poll. And of course, you're going to ask more Democrats than Republicans. So, of course, it's going to be down. That's why I always quote the good polls on here. But he decided to let the media have the rest of it. Pence, he's got a 41%. Dems, a 35%. GOP, 32 And the media, a 36% rating. That's... Pretty bad. To that CNN poll I was going to tell you about, or their ratings, CNN communication fighting with Trump, because that's all they do now. CNN just posted his most watched second quarter in history. Those are the facts. Well, here's some more facts, CNN. 5 p.m. slot. The Specialist, 1.8. Blitzer, 775,000. You were beat by MTP Daily. Bear, 2.1 million. Blitzer, 768,000. You were beat by a person that just got fired on MSNBC. Greta, she had 897,000. 7 p.m. McCallum, 1.8 million. Burnett, 717,000. You were also beat by Chris Matthews. Maybe it's because you're not hateful enough. I don't know, 1.4 million. Tucker Carlson, the APM is 2.6. He more than doubled Cooper and only had 908,000. And that dude chick over on MSDNC got 1.6. 9 p.m., the five, 2.5 million. Cooper, 839. Dr. Maddow, 2 million. I guess she's not doing that great. 10 p.m., Hannity, 2.18. Excuse me, 2.8 million. Lemon, eight hundred ninety-nine thousand, and you got beat by O'Donnell, two million. 
That was for last Wednesday. Their primetime lineup is all under 1 million. This is a major issue. Another one, shocking reports, 76 in, 76% increase in religious discrimination. FRC, the Family Research Council, just released a report on American society ongoing hostility toward religion and remarkably troubling. According to FRC, American hostility towards religion increased by 76% since 2014, much thanks to left-leaning media poor representation of religious attitudes. Aiming to measure religious discrimination in America, FRC documented a myriad cases involving religious small businesses, nonprofits, public servants, employees, students, and churches. According to FRC, 69 new religious discrimination cases have been added to the council's previous list of 90 compiled in July 2014. One of the reports documented case involved Fire Chief Kevin Cochran, who was fired over men's devotional book he wrote, though he was awarded Fire Chief of the Year. He wrote this book and he was given, he was fired with court mandating he attend sensitivity training. Travis Weber, director of Center for Religious Liberty, stated, while every section of the report shows an increase in suppression of religious freedom, the area section dealing with human sexuality shows the greatest increase in level of hostility to religious belief. Anyone who desires freedom in the future must take note of what these trends tell us about our freedom right now relative to where we have come from in order to protect freedom going forward. While Fox News has covered the recent new report, nearly every other major network outlet has ignored the report because they hate Christians. That's why. It's not what the article says. That's what I say. And if you think I'm full of shit, the Women's March was simulcast for two days. The pro-life march was ignored. Every photo was taken to make it look small. None of their people could be given primetime air slots to talk. That's our media. Okay, to our music breaks. Today we're going to be playing Times That I Got On, John Gibson. Not going to play music. John Gibson's radio show left Fox on Friday. Um, I've religiously listened to this since probably 2006. Um, been a podcast member since 2007. Love the show. He's moving over to Genesis Communication, which you can still listen to him. And he'll have a podcast eventually. But the angry, rich Bob and Christine phase of this show are gone. And this was a major part of my life. Um, as I told my wife, it's like all the Real Housewife shows were removed from the air. I just loved this show. So we're going to play that uh, separate times I got on. Uh, including old ones from like 20-something or other. And then we're going to play uh, our next segment, which is a faux outrage about one NRA video that featured Dana Loesch. This triggered the social justice warriors. And I want you to understand while you're listening to it, all the background is is actual Democrats protesting. So it's not like it's made up. These are actual videos of what the Democrats have been doing since November 9th. Leave a message for John, Bob, or myself, and we may or may not play it on air. 
So uh, when you go to the casino and you play the slot machine and you hit it, it lights up and bells ring and there's this clanging of money falling in the tray, right? <clears throat> That's kind of like today's bitch box, right, Bob? Exactly like that. <laughs> exactly like that. Okay, let's spin the wheel and see what happens. This is the old geezer. Get your crap together and start taking some phone calls. Well, get your crap together and call. Christine, do we have any calls today? You didn't give the number out. Like these people don't know it. Let's do it. We're going to do I a... Don't, um, I don't, how would they know? We're going to do a little test tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe we should, do a, we should do a segment where you give the number out constantly, and we ask for calls, and we'll see what happens. Right. No, uh, the geezer won't call. He just You heard him. He just wants to call and make a bitch and hang up. Uh <clears throat> Uh, next. Hey, John. Uh, what's happened to the show? You had this Art Bell wannabe come on at the beginning of the show. You better straighten up, man. You're going to start losing customers. Wow. So the knuckle draggers don't uh, just want what? Do we know? Did he say what he wanted? <clears throat> Are there more of those? So I enjoy a great vacation listening to my John Gibson podcast on the beach of Pensacola. And as I head home depressed, I get the June 12th show with that freak show for the first hour. I would rather have book reports. Bring back the book reports. You're going to get them. You're getting book reports because we've got to take the 4th of July off, so we have to do book reports. They're not book reports anywhere. They are interviews of the author who wrote a book on a subject. And there's therefore an expert. Did you get did you get word Something back? Something tells from, me that's not the book reports he was talking about. No, that is what he was talking about. While you were gone, uh, we had to do a bunch of author interviews uh, because Memorial Day was coming up, and we we weren't going to be here. And people complained. I mean, oh, they were vicious about those author interviews. Just vicious. I mean, this this recent round of viciousness is not brand new. Um, is there another? John, I have been a paid podcast subscriber and member of the chat for years now. This is Jim. I have never heard anything quite so awful as the person you had on the first hour. Uh, I almost uh, choked to death on my vomit once. That was preferable. Don't ever put that guy on the radio again. You know what? Ever. You know what I'm going to do? I am gonna, I, seriously, Don't I'm going to put him on. Seriously, I'm going to put him on. Seriously, I'm going to put him on. Now you've just put made me. Put him on where? Uh, put him on just to make him mad. What does he know? Uh, another one? Yeah, uh, my name is Matt from Carbondale, Illinois. I'm just yeah. calling about the interview with Mark Lamont Hill. When he basically was comparing um, stop and frisk to the Verizon calls being collected by the government. I only have one word, IRS. Uh, government's been proven to be corrupt recently, so why would we trust them with that information? Whereas cops are on surveillance and they are scrutinized by an outside source. By the way, good having you back, Christine. Well, there you go, Christine. Wasn't that precious? It was very precious. It was nice. See, that was a nice caller. So what, what's it going to be? A uh, nice caller or not so nice caller? What's it going to be? 
Hey, it's Tim in San Diego, and I'm calling a bitch, but not about you, John Gibson. I'm calling a bitch about Christine. I just wanted to uh, clarify uh, a very important point for Christine. Uh, it is not the right of the government to know with whom we are communicating, um, the extent to which we surf the net and for what, um, any more than it's necessary for them to know how much we make to the penny. But the whole idea of, of an income tax based on the total amount of money that somebody makes, what business really is it of anybody's how much money you make? I'm sure the founders did not envisage this when they sat down and put quill to paper. No, they didn't. Uh, the income tax was uh, invented later. Although what, what to paper? Quill. Is that what you used to use? No, I have not used a quill. Do you know what a quill is? Don't you got to fill it up with ink with a little feather on the thing and <laughs> right away? You fill it up with ink with a little feather? Oh, by the way, the listeners should know Christine has made a big announcement today on our uh, pre-show meeting. Uh, she wants cameras in everybody's house to watch them. And she's okay with it. Yeah, I probably should have brought that up earlier. She said, why should I care if they're watching me or watching my Internet actions or, or my phone calls? And so somebody wrote a piece saying, well, okay, here's a perfect test for that. How about we put a camera in your house and we will only look at it if a judge gives us the order. But the camera will be on all the time and recording it somewhere. And Christine said that would be fine. At least she's consistent. It's like having my own reality show. Yeah, I guess it would be. It just depends on where the cameras are, I suppose. Um, so uh, the the birthday guy, uh, first of all, this is Say It Ain't So. It is Weezer. And the birthday guy is the 43-year-old Rivers Cuomo, the singer. Uh, so happy birthday to uh, Rivers, to Cuomo, and Weezer. Uh, GibsonRadio.com. You want to go there, get the podcast, get the video, and all the goodies. GibsonRadio.com. Flyover Politics, the show for normal Americans. They use their media to assassinate real news. They use their schools to teach children that their president is another Hitler. They use their movie stars and singers and comedy shows and award shows to repeat their narrative over and over again. And then they use their ex-president to endorse the resistance. All to make them march, make them protest, make them scream racism and and xenophobia and homophobia to smash windows, burn cars, shut down interstates and airports, bully and terrorize the law abiding until the only option left is for the police to do their jobs and stop the madness. And when that happens, they'll use it as an excuse for outrage. The only way we stop the only way we save our country and our freedom is to fight this violence of lies with the clenched fist of truth. I'm the National Rifle Association of America, and I'm freedom's safest place. So that soundbite made the world go crazy. The Women's March, which is so important to the media, 
wrote the following, Mr. LaPierre. You're responsible for an organization that claims to be the oldest civil rights organization in America. However, recent action by the NRA demonstrate not only a complete disregard for the lives of black and brown people in America, your fellow citizens, but appear to be direct endorsement of violence against these citizens and exercising the constitutional right to protest. In light of this, we call on the NRA to take the following actions. Immediately remove the recent irresponsible and dangerous propaganda video narrated by conservative talk radio host Dana Loesch. Issue an apology to the American people for the video you sponsored, which bears your names and logo, and suggest armed violence against communities of color, progressives, and anyone who does not agree with this administration policies. Make a statement to defend Fidel Philandro Castile's right as a gun owner and demand the Department of Justice indict the police officer who killed him for violating his Second Amendment right. This call is clearly in line with the mission and purpose of the NRA. Mr. LaPierre, before the Second Amendment was the First Amendment, and they go into a long tirade of bull shit. Straight up bullshit. Women's March has a message for them, for the NRA. You're a fucking cow and that NRA propaganda you featured is sickening. Fuck you! Ilav Nitsu J, a male said. Dana Bloach, God bless. Brady campaign, look what the NRA is saying about you. Scary, but hey, guess that means we should keep up the good work. Watch. Hashtag resist. Sally Combe, an ad for NRA, Dana Loach accused left of violence and lies and calls for fighting back with clenched fist of truth. Just wow. This ad is called Freedom's Safest Place, which I can only infer is meant to imply gun ownership. Ben, to Silicone, you choose to infer that despite her explicitly saying that the only way to fight is with truth, she, she replied it is implicit that guns are involved. Ben, then all ads from Planned Parenthood about women's health are really about boarding babies. Not a big leap. Sally Cohn, stunning an organization that supposedly defends Second Amendment right, is accusing people of exercising First Amendment right to protest and is gauging in violence. They show video clips of actual violence and looting. By the way, slander and inciting riots aren't protected forms of speech, Sally Cohn. Josh Hammer, to preserve liberally, it is essential that the whole body of people always possess arms. Richard Henry Lee, Sally Cohn, Newsflash. I support the rights of responsible individual gun owners. So how come you and Dana Loach don't support First Amendment right? Chris Loach. Who said they didn't support the right to protest? You don't support slander and rioting. And, and here's the thing. The whole thing is about libs protesting and violence and hate speech. Sally Cohn says, I support the right of responsible individual gun owners, so how come you and the Dana Loesch don't support Furman and the right to protest? Dana Loesch, I don't with Tea Party, but I unconditionally support the right of assembly. Demonizing protests as violence rejects American history, she says. And somebody finally smacked her in the face. But remember how cute and clever the poster was of Paul Ryan's killing spree, right? And retweeted it. Chris Loach again, they show video clips of actual violence and looting. Once again, your party's violence and looting. And here's the deal, the clench fist of truth. Dana Loesch gets back at them very smartly and uses their own resist. She shows 10 examples of the clenched fist as a symbol of the resistance. That's what their symbol is. 
She then replies, property damage and physical assault is not protected speech. Video of this literally played behind me as I condemn it. Once more with feeling, breaking windows, bashing cars, Molotov cocktails, punching people. None is protected speech. Dean Obdella, the evil lib. Check out Dana Loach and NRA literally threatening those who oppose them with a closed fist. She replies, of truth, don't act like I wasn't condemning the violence and left while talking over footage of the riots. How obtuse. She then goes, literally threatening. I actually said, arm yourself with truth and condemn violence. But you do. And shows, resist, resist Trump, resist Trump, resist Trump. Speaking of my line clenched fists of truth, please note this imagery from the left. They're trying to incite, and have done so successfully, actual violence. Apologists feebly attempt to say my denouncement is worse. So unless you, Sally Cohn, and Dean of Comedy of the World have denounced that actual incitement of leftist imagery, you can have a seat. For people who pretend to be so smart, you try awfully hard to pretend that this that isn't precisely what I was addressing. Class is dismissed. Then Dreg McKesson gets in. This NRA ad is an open call to violence to protect white supremacists. If I made a video like this, I'd be in jail. Dana Loesch, come on air and tell me to my face that I'm a racist for condemning violent riots you incite. This was sort of humorous video showing violence on the left. And then left gets upset that people want to protect themselves. So, Tucker Carlson covered it. Because Chris Murphy says, I think the NRA is telling people to shoot us. Somebody else said, now might be the right time to cancel your membership. Here's Tucker, and then I'm going to articulate the facts. This NRA ad is an open call to violence to protect white supremacy. If I made a video like this, I'd be in jail. One of his followers, David Dennis Jr., chipped in, the use of a white woman as proxy for anti-black violence is a tale as old as America itself. Okay, Dana Lash joins us now. Dan, thanks for coming on. I didn't see any racial overtones in this spot. Maybe I wasn't looking for them. I did see one of the cops you seem to be celebrating was an African-American police officer. Um, But do you think, is there a racial subtext to this somehow? No, there's not. Tucker, it's, it's good to be with you, and I'm glad you're feeling better as well. No, there's no racial component in this. This The reaction to this is insane. Tucker, I'm, I'm talking over video clips that show actual leftist violence, rioting, yeah. property damage, arson, physical assault, and apparently me condemning violence is what's inciting and dividing America. Well, funny not people is- like DeRay McCusson, who are... <laughs> the, t- the tape is like a bunch of rich white kids setting fire to stuff. <laughs> So, like, you're defending white supremacy for attacking rich white kids burning stuff? I mean, like, it's insane. It's this, it's the goofiest thing ever. And, and I, I mean, it's incredibly clear. When I say clinch fist of truth, I mean, Tucker, and I have this here, you know, you, this is their, this is their logo. It was, I, I can't believe I have to spell it out to, I guess, people who read with pictures. The clinch fist of truth, you know, it's just wordplay. I'm talking about fighting violence with truth because truth wins out all the time. And apparently yeah. that's bad. When you show the left, and some people on the left, not everybody on the left, but, you know, it's coming from the See, the, this whole thing has nothing to do with guns. It has nothing to do with guns. It has nothing to do with anything but the NRA which once again is no different than Planned Parenthood, 
has political power. So the left must fake faux outrage over them pointing out to the American people what the left is doing right now, damaging, calling for violence, saying the White House should be blown up. I mean, the Women's March having the gall to actually freaking say this was violent when they had a march where people said they wanted to blow up the White House. That crazy Ashley Judd went on a rant with just nothing but hyperbole against the president. They don't want them to have any power, so they attack them. It's not guns, it's politics. It is pure, 100%, unadulterated politics, and any organization from Christians to gun owners must be exterminated, must be made to be evil people, must be called horrible names, and must be demonized for political gain. The NRA video just points out the violent rhetoric on the left. And after a Democrat supporting Bernie Sanders tries to kill a bunch of damn Republicans, they saw this as an avenue to say, oh, no, 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 look at the left, look at the right, look at the NRA, look what they're saying. That's why we have all this violence. And it's fake. It's total fake. And you're all a bunch of hypocrites. But you want to see real hypocrisy? Let's go to the second faux outrage. You heard Trump tweeted poorly to Mika. You never heard this. Nothing makes a man feel better than making a fake cover of a magazine about himself, lying every day and destroying the country. Oh, well, he's covering his hands here because they're teasy. So this set up a two-day, probably still going, faux outrage from the left just because he tweeted back. Now, for the record, before we start this, he shouldn't have tweeted. He should be above this. She's a low life on a network that is not very good on a show that gets on average maybe 500,000 viewers a day because it's, you know, the only people watching it is politicos, not actual Americans. Americans don't watch this show. The Congress does. They watch it religiously because of, well, I don't know why they watch it. It's probably because of all the crazy shit they say about them. And for some reason, this is a Washington show. I mean, Washington loves this show. I used to love Morning Joe. Morning Joe used to be my morning show until Joe and Mika started doing the horizontal bombo. And the moment they started doing that, well, of course, the show went so far left, I couldn't handle it anymore. It was no longer an objective show. It was basically a lefty. Obama's the dear one. Republicans are bad. So I think the best way to wrap it up is from Andrew Carell over there at Daily Beast. Trump attacks crazy Mika Brzezinski. She was left, was bleeding badly from the facelift. The President of the United States took time out of his Thursday morning to attack a low IQ Brzezinski and her psycho Joe Scarborough fiance. President Trump launched a cruel personal attack on MSNDNC's Morning Joe co-host and lovebirds Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski on Thursday morning rather than deal with the health care bill seemingly on death's door. This is why I wish you wouldn't have done it, because now they can try to sit there and get on their high horse. 
Blah, blah, I'm not reading the tweet. Within minutes, Brzezinski shot back with a photograph showing text on the back. And it was a picture of a little kid made for little hands, Cheerios. The president's tirade appears to have been inspired by Brzezinski and her colleague mocking the news that Trump has a fake Time magazine cover of himself displayed at several of his properties. Nothing makes a man, blah, 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 teensy. It's a sad day for America when the president spends his time bullying, lying, and spewing petty personal insults instead of doing his job, MSDNC responded. The network head of PR wrote on Twitter, Never imagine a day when I would think to myself, it is beneath my dignity to respond to the president of the United States. First Lady Melania Trump office defended the president's outburst in a statement as First Lady has stated publicly when her husband gets attacked, he will punch back ten times harder. This comes despite Melania's pre-inauguration promise to dedicate her powers to fighting cyberbully. Every time they can bash the First Lady, they will, but we spent eight years hearing how nice Michelle Obama's arms were. Huckabee talked about it. Behind closed doors, the tone was different. Senior aides to the president have tried and failed for months to find new ways to distract the president from cable news and social media. On Thursday, they responded to the tweet storm with a mix of resignation and gallows humor. This is who the president is, one official noted. At least we're writing about this and not that we're going to kill millions of people, another White House official said, referencing the awful coverage of Trump care. The first very public personal war marks the... Complete and total collapse of what was once a fruitful friendship between the real estate mogul and the MSDNC host. During the 2016 Republican primary, Moaning Joe was accused of being too cozy with them. That relationship took a markedly sour turn just months before the election when then-nominee Trump threatened on Twitter to expose the real story of Scarborough and his very insecure longtime girlfriend Brzezinski. Two clowns. It was a response to on-air segment expressing skepticism of a Trump speech. From there, the bromance officially died as the Trump administration took office and repeatedly failed every standard laid forth by the Morning Joe hosts. This White House is a joke, presumably friendly, famously declared on air in March after Trump accused President Obama of having wiretap. Trump comment about Brzezinski alleged facelift is just the latest in the president's long history of using sexist insult to bash his female critic. How is it fit sexist to say that she had a bleeding face? They try to link it into the blood everywhere for Megyn Kelly for the rest of the article, which I will not read. More on that in a second. To show you how crazy it is, the Nets dedicated 28 more times to this tweet than the passing of Kate Law. Trump's tweets... 2 minute and 57 seconds on the NBC Nightly News. 3 minutes and 16 seconds on ABC News. <clears throat> 2 minutes and 34 seconds on the CBS Evening News. Kate's Law was not covered on ABC or CBS. And only 26 seconds on NBC Nightly News. Now... Having said he shouldn't have done the tweet as the President of the United States, here is just since May what has been said about the President of the United States on Morning Joe. It's kind of lengthy. This is unprecedented. 
to have a president that behaves this way. Can anyone go back in history? Well, you asked John Meacham yesterday. And it, I tried. He He's, went back to four. He stretched as best um, he could to Nixon, and then we had to move outside the United States of America yeah. to find a parallel, and I believe it was Okay, so I can't wait to hear what Casey Hunt has to say once we read the, the, well, the news this on This is great. It does feel healthcare. like a developing dictatorship. Anyhow, the Senate Republicans rolled out their health care bill yesterday and it took little time before they were met with internal resistance. See, that's the sort of thing. That's an inside voice saying what you just said. No, it's not. Now you're like, you say you want to be like Greta, who's like... No, no, no. I'm going to say... See, Greta pulls I'm gonna back actually when, channel she Greta says things like that. And have an even tone, but I will say mm. you can do some work reading history yeah. and reading books about how dictatorships happen, mm. the development of... Uh, yeah very negative forces taking over mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and what you are seeing is either this happening right now mm -hmm. or someone who's not well. But actually, there's I, well, very few options. You know Everything's actually, worked I, so far. But there's there's a very few options. Is, I think it's actually more like Hogan's heroes than, <laughs> yeah. than well, that, you know, uh, anything else. We can get a Sergeant Schultz. Right? Oh, we have a Sergeant Schultz and we have a claim. Very, and the yeah. tweet President Trump called his trip a great success, talked about hard work and big results. And that was echoed also by Republican congressmen, uh, including Bob Corker, which was a bit of a surprise, who said it was yeah. executed to near perfection. It wasn't. It was uh, he added that President Trump should be commended for the trip's success. Uh, James Mattis also defended the president's tr uh, tough talk. But Andrea Mitchell, I, I don't really care uh, what, what uh, politicians in Washington, D.C. are saying about a trip they know was a complete disaster. That you look at the president's actions, you look at the gestures, the ugly you American. looked at the bullying of him pushing uh, the, the newest member uh, out of the way to get in the front of picture. You look at that awkward handshake with Macron, but more importantly, you have Angela Merkel and her opponent saying, America treated us horribly. We can no longer depend on the United States of America. Uh, and we're going, Europe's going to have to worry about itself. This is, uh, this is, I said yesterday, and I, I really, I'd be hard pressed for anybody. Uh, if somebody can find a, a more disastrous foreign trip since Kennedy's 1961 summit with Khrushchev, I'd like to know what it was, because this was a disaster. Right. He looked like a thug. He looked like a goon. You look at the handshake. Uh, you look with look. Look at this. Just what a thug! It's, but it's just what an embarrassment. Look, he's mauling him like an idiot. You can absolutely. There, it's just what an embarrassment to the United Optics States. Optics matter, um, and, and so do the actual conversations. And I think well, if it, if, it were if it were followed by positive conversations, you could fine. just say that he was awkward. But for Merkel to say what she said shows they see no talent. They see absolutely nothing behind the eyes that they can work with. Exactly. And that is, that's exactly what I hear. What Yamisha said is what I hear from all the Trump supporters that I talk to who were Trump voters and are still Trump supporters. They go, yeah, you guys are going crazy. He's doing, what are you so surprised about? He's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. Well, and I think that the dangerous you know, edges here are that he's trying to undermine the media, trying to make up his own facts, and it could be that while unemployment and uh, the, the economy worsens, he could have undermined the messaging so much that he can actually control right. uh, exactly 
exactly what people think. And that is the that is if our you, job. Yeah. If you look at the issues. This whole he's too he's too stupid to help himself. I, I don't Seems buy like it. He defense, knew exactly right. what he was doing. Well, I he think he's know. such a narcissist. It is yeah, possible so. that he's m mentally ill in a way. And uh, this is on the table. I said it months ago, and yeah. now everybody's starting to say it like it's new and it's okay to say. Yeah. He's not well. No. At the very least, he's not well, and he's so narcissistic, he does not believe the rules apply to him. And that's where the ignorance label may apply, because this is a man who says he can grab women anywhere, because he's famous. I he still, may I think he can that. push her. Like, well, that's, I think there's a I innuendo to perhaps the other sex, but anyhow, everyone has their ideas about why he wow. said what he well, said. Just, but um, the point is that he feels he can say or do things. Things that are different than the norm because right. he's famous, because he's a celebrity, because he has right power. <laughs> and you know what? I need an eject button. It's going to come down to something. We don't know if it's obstruction of justice. We don't know if it's abuse of power. We know we don't know if it's utter stupidity. But he may not be able to be in that office. Why do you, why? Nothing I have said we'll, is crazy. We'll talk about it. <laughs> you going to me now. You no, watching the show no, no. while I was gone. You all said what I said. No, no, no nobody has ever no. said what you well, just said. Well, I say said. things a little more clearly. He's accusing us of something else. He's accusing us of dishonesty. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's really, and that's the, and that's the way he operates, and that's why I was so alarmed by the decision by CNN to cashier three reporters behind this uh, Scaramucci report, which turned out to be uh, wrong or insufficient. Which Scaramucci handled very well, by the way. He handled it with with a great deal of grace. Okay, you he made did. a mistake, uh, you move uh, on. But the White House sees this as an opportunity to confirm a hypothesis that's for right. its supporters for its followers who are not making the distinction who think that CNN is out willfully to get uh, the president not simply to report the news right and, and, and Kristen uh, just to be totally very clear because I think you talked about this during the campaign along with us nobody's saying that what Donald Trump's doing now is right in fact we think it's extraordinarily dangerous called the media uh, enemy of the people it's Stalinist uh, but at the same time if you look in middle America, if you, uh, he has a more willing audience, a more receptive audience, because the media got it wrong for the entire 18 months of this campaign. I think that's right. And I think you don't have to be someone who is hooked up to an IV drip of Rush Limbaugh these days to think that there might be uh, uh, something that the media could do better, that they might not love this president, that they might want to put first and foremost the things that are bad about him. And if you are a voter who may not even love this president, you may not like his tweets, you may not love that he's putting up a fake cover of himself at his golf club, but if you're trying to make ends meet, you want to know what's going on with your health care, you want to know what's happening with immigration, and you turn on the news, and the stories you see are, look at this this ridiculous thing the president tweeted look at this ridiculous thing he put up at his golf club you can be forgiven for thinking that the media doesn't want to talk about stuff that's relevant to you they just want to make fun of the president and think that that's a dereliction of their of duty and so I think that there are a lot of voters especially on the right but not just the right that think the media has not done an effective job of explaining what's really happening truthfully on stories that matter to them and that is only heightened as as Brett mentioned that they only have to make a mistake once for Trump to say, look, 
See, I told you so. So what really matters on stories that's important to them, Brett? What has this president accomplished for his base, for the people who are concerned that the media is not telling the truth? Let's uh, spell it out. Let's see. Well, what do we got? Look, I mean, this is just the thing. I think the media would be happy to report accomplishments. I'd like to know. What, I'd like yes, to know what are they, they are. I'd like to know what they are. He does look pretty rattled. Here we, we go. We have just a minute left. I want to get final thoughts from everybody. Joe, I will start with you. Final thoughts this morning. Well, I, I mean, I think you said it best when you said we're all scared. Uh, obviously, um, this is. I think we reached a new low this weekend. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I had hope uh, and an open mind, and I have lost hope completely, and my mind is closed. This presidency is fake and failed. Mark Halperin, your thoughts? Everybody around that table that you're looking at right now, they do not serve Donald Trump. They serve the people of the United States of America. They do not take an oath to Donald Trump. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America. And if they don't understand that, they need to leave. Well, and if the president seems delusional about his accomplishments, you can point to no further than that room that is helping confirm this sort of s sense of totally I, exaggerated yeah, self and, that he has. Well, and, and Mika, I think it's very telling. The first week we went in there, we went in nine, ten days into it. And it was very it was, obvious when he asked how I thought the first week went. And I said, not well. And he was stunned. And he, he kept repeating that for an hour and a half to anybody who would listen, how shocked he was. It was very obvious at that time. We've said it on the air that nobody in the White House had told him that the first executive order had had, had been a calamity. That no well, one had told him about the missteps about crowd size, that nobody had told him that lying about three million votes, uh, I mean, that nobody inside that White House tells him the truth. Yeah, Therein we talk about the lack of the diversity in the White House. Let me just say there are no real men in the inner circle of the White House. None at all. I think also um, often we were talking about the people around Donald Trump when ultimately you know where it ends. Um, it starts and ends with Donald Trump. Yep. And I know it is a terrible thing to question someone's patriotism, but you wonder what he cares about. You really do. I do. And I think there are others who are wondering what is driving him. Well, Donald Trump cares about, he's made it perfectly obvious, and I think a lot of people that have known him in the past uh, knew he was he was self-involved but to the to the degree that he cares only about I don't think himself anyone predict that yeah the, the degree that he cares only about himself above his country above it's it has been pretty surprising somebody yesterday asked the question yeah. i don't get this why is he why is he cozying up to a, a, a thug and tyrant in the philippines yeah. And they said, he doesn't even know about North Korea. And I responded, it's not about North Korea. It's about Trump Tower in Manila. Right. Everything they do. He's cozying up to a Turkish leader that came over here, had a security detail, beat up people, right. American citizens, right. and didn't say a word because he's, he's got Trump Tower in, in Istanbul. I know he came into the office with limitations. I always wondered, though, because the presidency does tend 
to kind of sweep over and you watch a lot of uh, presidents who may be even seen in history now as great presidents, you see the job really t sweeping over them and them rising up to the moment, getting a sense of history, of the sacrifices that so many Americans have made, of our veterans, to be inspired to perhaps really dig deep and be driven by t patriotism. I, right. I haven't seen it. Do you think people should be concerned um, that the president posted somewhat of an incoherent tweet last night and that it then stayed up for hours? Uh, no. Why did it stay up so long? Is, is no one watching this? No, I, I think the, the, uh, the president and a small group of people know exactly what he meant. Like... No, no. No, 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 no nobody no. knew what he meant. Sorry. Nobody knows really? what he means. What is that like, Joe? Oh, he does. I don't know. I would never do that. I think I would you said eat. something before the I show would rather... that really kind of like summed it up. Uh oh. You know what uh, you said. What was that? You said it's like. What did I say? It's like, like. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> like a yes, kid drooping yes. their pants and then saying, "I meant to do that." that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. I. It, it's it would be like somebody pooping their pants and then people looking at it and saying, "Oh, that's modern art." Don't you understand? I am making a statement. Against Russian aggression uh, in 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 Crimea, wow. and so this is wow. my statement. And if you don't get it, and we then there's something wrong with you and not me. Thank you, Spicy. And then everybody knew what it You meant. go. I'm going to make another statement, and I'm going to sit down in my pants, and it, is, it will then be modern art, and I will hang it on your wall. And if you don't that's understand what it, is. the problem is, anybody wants to know, that uh, small group knows what confefe is. No mas. Yeah. Poopy pants. No, no much, no. But, yeah, the problem is with you all, not with the person that does it. That's what Sean Spicer actually oh my God. did how, yesterday. How and he, he actually go? does, he, he does a verbal version of that every day, but it's not just him. Unfortunately, now, Donald Trump has people doing that rhetorically in their pants every day oh, no, over at the okay. RNC. Come on. All right. Come on. Uh, I, I started this, so I really hey. I take responsibility. Meek is the one that asked. I, you know, I was going to quote. It was so funny. I was going to actually quote Shakespeare this morning, but Meek is the one that asked me to bring this up. It's really by the way, if I told you that we're fellows. Yes, if I told you, by the way, we're fellows at Harvard. Go ahead, Mika, what's the yeah, news today? We are Harvard fellows. No confetti in your pants. Please. Nothing makes a man feel better than making a fake cover of a magazine about himself, lying every day and destroying the country. Oh, well, he's covering his hands here because they're teasy. So that's me just researching online. Back to May. I think May 13th, the first soundbite there. And I'll play the segment out. We're going to music break. Literally, somebody else's. And this is what the show is. Pooping in the pants. Confefe. All personal. First and foremost, how is this objectifying women? She talked about his dick. What do you think small hands means? And for the sheep out there, of course the liberal media asked every Republican to condemn Trump. You never see that for Dems. How about do you agree with Tim Kaine's fight in the streets or Obama's statement, when they bring a knife, we bring a gun? Nope. Nobody's outraged. There's no sexism in it when they dog GOP women or Sarah Palin or say, say stuff like 
um, they they said about Kellyanne Conway being hit in the sho- with a shovel. That's what she looks like. That's what the CNN reporter said or producer. That there's nobody has to answer for that. But one Trump tweet saying she was bleeding from a facelift is sexist because it said about her looks. You say it all the time about GOP women. All the time their looks are attacked. Jerry Springer, I'm sorry, but Trump's behavior is not just beneath the dignity of the presidency, but that of a decent man. Dan Pfeiffer. Crazy idea for GOPers upset by Trump's tweet. Withhold support for his priorities until he cleans up his act. Jesse Kelly. Support liberalism until Trump stops tweeting. Uh, hard pass. I think she hit it. Ben Sass. Please just stop. This isn't normal and it's beneath the dignity of your office. A Republican. Then Nancy Pelosi goes on a tweet storm. Tweets today are sexist and assault on the freedom of the press and an insult to all women. Apologize. Sexist? Maybe. An insult to all women? Nah. President Trump insult was pretty clearly laser focused at one woman. Nancy Pelosi again. In a short time, I'll be joining House Democrat women to respond to the real Donald sexist attack on Morning Mika. So out comes the grandstanding left after a lot more of Pelosi. This is what it looks like when people come together, stand up to a bully. Some may respond, I would have hoped that there would be more than men standing with you. There's not enough. Hail Razor sum this whole shit up. These aren't mutually exclusive. Trump tweets are fucking embarrassing. The media focusing on Trump tweets is fucking embarrassing. And Democratic women grandstanding over a comment about one woman is embarrassing. From our president of the United States of America. As a Democrat and as a woman and as an African American in this great country that I love. I want to fight for jobs. I want equality for women when it comes to equal pay. I want to be able to say that when a woman needs health care, she can get it in America. I want my girls educated. I want investment in education. I want a country that's reflective of one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And this is not acceptable, Mr. President. You do not have the right, because you have a Twitter account, to display behavior that I taught my son never to do. I taught my son, and I am respected on so many levels, but from the Oval Office, as a woman, I am not getting respect. We are here to do the work. These are times when we go home to our constituents. They're not talking about your tweets. They're talking about where are the jobs? Where is my health care? Where is my immigration reform? Where is the respect for criminal justice in this country? Mr. President, this is a direct, direct to you. Eyeball to eyeball. Do the job of a president of all the people of this great country and stop, stop the disrespect. All right. We came together today with great anxiety, great shock and with great disappointment in the President of the United States. We strongly believe that this is beneath the 
presidency of the United States. We strongly believe that this cannot go on any longer. It is destructive, it is repugnant, and again, it is beneath the presidency of the United States. It is not normal for a grown man to be so consumed with petty vitriol. I implore those close to the president to step in. Do it because you love him. Do it because you love this country. I am speaking here today as a woman and as a mother. If conduct like this was going on in a schoolyard anywhere across this country, the teacher would take this child who had called someone dumb, called someone inappropriately, and give him a timeout. Mr. President, it is time for you to take a timeout. Both the First Lady and the First Daughter have commented about public meanness. Ivanka has said, there is a level of viciousness that I was not expecting. Mr. President, there's a level of viciousness coming from your tweets that we are not expecting. And the First Lady has said, our culture has gotten to me. To the First Lady, I would say, please, talk to your I just wanted to come, lest anyone get the impression that it's just our women colleagues who are outraged and indignant about this latest outburst of uh, uh, cyber misogyny in the president's tweets. Uh, as the, the father of two daughters and one son, uh, I want to tell my daughters that uh, no man has any right ever to treat you the way the president uh, has tried to treat people with his tweets, and I want to tell my son uh, that he should never uh, look at this president of the United States as any kind of role model. He is no gentleman, and he seems increasingly like a barbarian in terms of his treatment of his fellow citizens. So something is deeply wrong at the White House, and we hope whoever's in control over there can get on top of it and pull back from this terrible situation. Okay, Anybody have any uh, questions? <laughs> Why, if you say that these tweets are below the dignity, there's been a lot of talk of the president possibly pleading to distract from the issues. Why dignify these tweets with a response such as this? Well, can I just comment? Yes. Okay. May I just say to you that the president of the United States, Mr. Trump, has violated any suggestion that he should be trusted with the Oval Office. We are members of the United States Congress, men and women, who represent the people. The people seek not to have kings or queens, but they seek to have an office of the presidency that can be trusted. Today, Mr. Trump, you have ceased to have the trust of the American people. When you begin to utilize again the diminishing of those who have mental health needs, 
Psycho Joe Scarborough or Psycho Joe or Low IQ Mika. And then you begin to talk about the private issues of women who have before in life been segregated and discriminated against because they are women. Blood from wherever or your face is bleeding. Do you realize how many women shudder in workplaces of which we fight for equality, in schools, in their homes with the issue of domestic violence because they are not protected? And then our commander-in-chief seeks to take advantage of the position that he holds. So why do we do it? Not for self. But for the words that were said about Kali Fiorona, who was a Republican, look at that face. Would anybody vote for that? That was the candidate Trump. Now we're facing the President Trump. And I would argue that our responsibility is not to him, but to the American people, and he should resign. And, uh, I, just, I think simply, though, I think the point you're trying to make here is cyberbullying is reflective of his policies. Really, that's, I think that's, that's the most important. Mika Brzezinski, and what she does as a reporter in doing her job is what we do in our jobs, is initiating public policy that helps men and women in this country. And would that the President of the United States, instead of proposing a budget and a repeal of a health care bill, that can only hurt American people, women and children around this country, that he would stand tall and say that my job is to make sure that families have the education that they need, the health care that they need, the good jobs that they need in order to provide economic growth in the United States of America. What he does is he demeans women, and more than that, he has demeaned himself in this process. And we know it, and the country knows it. Thank you very much. Nothing but politics. Damn Sheila Jackson talking he should be impeached for this. MSB, CNN politics. We stand with MSDNC, Morning Joe. And Morning Joe comes on and responds. First and foremost, I want you to understand, they were going to release the tapes of this meeting. What this comes down to, Tony Reid's theory, this all changed when he wouldn't give them exclusives. Let's think about it. You're Joe Scarborough. You love this girl. You're going to marry her. She gets a facelift. You bring her to Mar-a-Lago anyway because you're trying to get exclusives and get in there and get special coverage for the president. He turns you down for all the bullshit you said during an election. Then you get really stupid ugly with them, and the timeline fits. Ever since that, it's been nothing but ugly. So MSDNC was going to release these private tapes between Joe and the president and Mika, and then they say they're not going to. So I'm going to play Morning Joe's response, an edited version of it. And on the back end of it, you're going to hear another soundbite. And that is Mika Brzezinski reading emailed White House talking points on the air. 
during the Obama administration. In effect, you're saying sequester them, have a war room, keep them there as long as you can or else they're lieutenants and just hold them there in the old executive office building and just keep pounding so I away. I don't know if there was a war room, but they were meeting with Chevron and other industry companies on May 7th, May 12th, May 12th, ExxonMobil, uh, Salazar with the drilling contractors. They have the Chevron CEO in there. The they CEO's have, not going to answer this meeting. CFO, sorry. <laughs> and then uh, they have others from all of these industry leaders, all these in different industries, oil industry companies coming in consistently. I don't see a war room, but you guys are acting like they haven't. Um, no, Miguel, you, you, you keep reading these. You keep reading these. These White House talking, talking points. points. Yeah. You keep reading these talking <laughs> points, and yes, there were there were they did. They did a lot more than Rudy Giuliani said they did. Right. But there is no evidence whatsoever from looking through all the evidence that they had from the very beginning, that they had for the first 56 days a concerted plan and a war room to fix this. And the government has 13 agencies down there. They're all looking at the same data. If the government thought it was a different number, they would have said something. They have experts on flow, on flow rates. Right. 
So I don't think, I think oh, people... There's some interesting news on that. Oh, you, got, you got some more points on that? We're up to maybe 100,000 <laughs> barrels? Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you got so some more points? Do you want to know why I have a file that I've been working on with the White House? And I'll be very transparent about that. Because of your friend Rudy Giuliani, who came here last week spewing out a whole bunch of nothing. They deserve an Oscar for that. That is such great acting and hyperbole. But I wanted to tie in. Remember, Mika Brzezinski read emails from the last administration and what they're really upset about and why they're being ugly and childish. And as we close this segment in a few minutes, another compilation of what they actually have said, which is nothing but personal attacks to the President of the United States. Once again, I don't think you should be tweeting, but it's all personal attacks. They wanted exclusivity. They didn't get it. So now they're throwing a childish fit. And it's clearly obvious. It's personal. They're just mad they can't have the one-ups. But it didn't stop here. The media is horrified after Trump tweets video body slamming CNN. Journalists reacted in horror Sunday morning after the President Trump tweeted a fake video that shows him body slamming fraud news CNN in a fake wrestling match. While many of the President's supporters online react to the video with humor, the consensus among journalists seemed to be that Trump was inciting violence. So now we're back to the violence again. It's a sad day when the President of the United States encouraged violence against reporter. CNN said in a statement, ABC News chief political analyst Matthew Dowd, a lib, advocating violence against the media and demanding Republican leaders put country over party in response to the fake video. Around the world, journalists are murdered with impunity on a regular basis. Pointer managing editor Ben Mullen gravely stated, this isn't funny. CNN commentary Anna Navarro, a lib, called the tweet an incitement of violence. He is going to get somebody killed in the media. New York Times reporter Alan Rappaport called the president's tweet a call for violence against the media. Martha Raddus, who cried when Hillary lost, took the fake video seriously in an interview with Homeland Security Advisor Tom and Bosert. That seems like a threat. No one would perceive that as a threat, Bosert replied. The Washington Post headline and new coverage of the tweet, Trump appears to promote violence against CNN with a treat, tweet, WAPO reporter David Nakamura wrote, a day after defending his use of social media as befitting a modern-day president, President Trump appeared to promote violence against CNN. Atlantic editor David Frum similarly took the president's tweet to mean that he was encouraging violence. New Yorker magazine writer Frank Rich called the president's tweet insanity, an attempt that might be successful to drum up violence against journalists. MSDNC producer Kyle Griffin suggests the fake video proved wrong Deputy White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders' statement, the president is no way former fashion is encouraged in any form of violence. Numerous other journalists on Twitter expressed similar sentiments about the fake video. Did Greg Giafford inspire this? New York Magazine writer Yashiri Ali wondered before comparing the president's tweet to Kathy Griffith's mock beheading of the president. This is sick. This is disturbing. This is pathological. This is violent. This is reckless. Said author- And it's authoritarian. David Korn, a total libtard, said. Emily C. Singer, someone hurts or injures or worse to a reporter. Trump's 100% of fault. There's no way around it. Sachin Nakarini, the actual president, tweeted this. George e. Parker, his tweet would be hilarious if it wasn't a U.S. president. Oh, and good. What the Christ is this bullshit? Shane Stapleton, glad he was. He has the new codes. Oh, we got to get back to the new codes again. 
Mike Signorelli. Now there is no denying who's promoting violence and brutality. This is literally a direct assault on CNN reporters. Luther Campbell, the man is crazy. David Nakamura, modern day presidential. Brady Quirk Garvin it is so embarrassing that the President of the United States is posting this crap. We deserve better. Oliver Darcy, full statement of CNN with a whole bunch of bullshit. The President is no way they're talking about something else. This is now having every reporter call for the 25th. Jake Tapper even got involved. More than 10% of the tweet from real Donald Trump as president has been attacking journalists. Far fewer discussing troops' opioid crisis in Syria. Tasha Stevens flipped that around to how many journalists tweet about attacked Trump and not focused on Syria opioid crisis. Remember, these are the people that let a Democratic dude shoot Republicans and they tried to blame the president for it. A fake tweet of somebody getting slammed in a wrestling cage is now advocating violence when actual Democrats have said fight in the street. When actual Democrats have said, when they bring a knife, we bring a gun. When actual Democrats have said, I want to blow up the White House. When actual reporters have said he needs to be assassinated. Shown planes crashing and saying, I wish this was Trump. Get caught on CNN air saying, maybe his plane crashed. His treats are below the dignity of the President of the United States. Yes, they are. But to say it advocates violence that actual Democrats have done, said, actions against Trump supporters, take your faux outrage and shove it up your ass sideways. I close the segment with another montage of what Morning Joe calls news. And we'll go into music break and news. Social media nuggets. I keep hearing from people now. Is he okay? Yeah. Is he, he okay? Like dead serious, they look at me and they say, "Is he okay?" He, and I don't have a good answer. I have the I answer. He he's not. People on the inside say he keeps getting worse, and, and mentally keeps getting worse. This is a man in decline. This man, president cannot be stopped. Man, he's not well. Thing. And by the way, by the, by the way was, this travel ban mm-hmm. wouldn't have helped anything that happened. In, I mean, it's. The lack of intellectual ability is stunning. There's an unwritten rule in the psychiatric community that nobody diagnoses from afar. I just don't think he's a well guy, period. The behavior pattern that he's demonstrating right now is not normal. And, you know, I kind of just want to dispense with political correctness for a bit and just say what everyone is thinking. This behavior is crazy. He needs to get a, get a grip. This is so unbalanced. He is not well. He's just not well. He has literally devolved to the point where there is concern about his health or about his ability to take in information and use it correctly. It's like a child. Are you concerned about the president's health? I think his family should be concerned about his health. And I don't know how, how we withstand an unhinged presidency. I'm seriously worried about a person who would do this. I'm worried about that person's 
on a number of levels. Because he's not well and he's not attached to reality. Just asking, swear to God, this guy's tweeting You're right now, our president, the leader of the free world, he's got his fingers on the button and I, he's tweeting about Hillary. Oh, it's so, time for Article 25. Amendment 20, the amendment 25th Amendment. 25th Amendment, let's do it. And the psychiatrist is stuff. No, forward. seriously, you have all this misinformation being churned out by the president himself sometimes. This looks like the steps leading up to a total meltdown. Because this is not funny. This is really bad. Just for the record, we're all really nervous. So if people out there feel nervous, we do too. We don't think this is funny. Somebody at the top of his campaign last summer said to me, we're all really worried about his emotional state. Yeah. He's not well. He's not of sound mind. You, there, there, you, you, he, that's somebody that clinically you look at and say, there's something wrong with him. He's clearly... Not well. I, I'm not a, a well. And the question, the question and, and is really he's when, mentally ill. Two one two three zero one fifty eight eleven. Hi, you reached the Gibson bitch box. Wait a second. This isn't about me, is it, Bob? Anyway, leave a message for John, Bob, or myself, and we may or may not play it on air. It is the Gibson bitch box, a uh, public service in this program because you need some outlet complain about your host and maybe you couldn't get through so uh yeah Bob, we have we had have... uh pretty packed lines the past few days i know so we have we understand if you can't get in christine's been working her tail off well yes christine does a great job <laughs> and have i been rewarded with a vicious venomous vociferous complaints i'm listening to everyone Defending George Zimmerman. Oh, he didn't challenge. He did. Nobody knows what he did. The police told him not to follow the kid. He followed the kid. That in itself is provocation. And he got hit. So whose fault is that? Stop defending Zimmerman. It would help. It would help if he made sense. <laughs> What's provocation? Let's see. So you follow somebody, that means they can hit you? Oh, okay. That lady called yesterday, didn't she? Or that man? I, <laughs> I want to say it's a guy. Oh, it is a guy? Oh, <clears throat> well, my hearing isn't used what it used to be. Uh, okay, is there anybody else? Hi, John and crew. Uh, this is Marla Quackenbush, twin sister of Darla Quackenbush. For all those people calling and complaining about my sister Darla, I'm the twin sister. Uh, she is a woman in a woman's body, but sometimes she acts like a man. However, she would be an excellent catch for any talk show host to marry. So stop complaining about my sister, Darla Quackingbush, and I love the show. Well, that's the best part. Oh, my God. Marla, with the man's voice, loves the show. None of that's real, right? I... Or are we going to pretend? Somebody was calling me, telling me, uh, you know, that uh, it's all real. I, I don't know. I mean, we haven't had time to investigate, have we? No, but I'm going to work on that tomorrow morning. Bet you don't. Thanks. Is there another one? Hey, this is Matt Marble. I just heard Bob wish uh, Mickey Ramone happy birthday yesterday. There's no Mickey Ramone. I misspoke, but it's Marky. Marky Ramone, and there's actually another Ramone that's surviving, too. It's DJ Ramone. You guys should know this. It's New York, right? 
Isn't that Matt Marble from the Hula Girls? That's from the Gibson House, one of the Gibson House bands, the Hula Girls. The other I, one is the uh, Velcro Pygmies. That's right. I did misspeak. I should have uh, said Marky Ramon, but for his other point, C.J. Ramon, not an original member, so he doesn't count. <laughs> and yes, he is in New York, so he does know these things. Uh, <clears throat> it, are there more, or should I bail now? I usually call to complain about the book reports, but I wanted to call and compliment on yesterday's show. It was a really, really good show, especially the portion where you covered the Melissa Harris Perry train wreck. <clears throat> I sat through Sunday's cover- coverage on MSNBC, and then I slashed my wrist when I was complete. Finally, I also want to say about that guy in the afternoon who called, I think his name was Scott, about whether he should get the premium membership or not or whatever. Mud, blood, crap, or flood. I'll always get my premium membership. Well, there's a fan. Call in and leave your name so we can send you a book. Oh, it's birthday time. And I paid no attention to whose birthday it is today. Oh, man. But I, I recognize I recognize the box tops. Tell me it's Spooner Oldham. It's not. It's uh, Thomas Boggs, the drummer of the box top, who is no longer with us. But we think about him today. Yeah, we think about him, and we love the box tops. And the letter. This is a great song. I think old Spooner Oldham wrote this. I gotta take. I, I, I gotta go do some other stuff, and but I'll be back tomorrow. You mean tweet and, people and attack them? Yeah, I gotta do some tweeting and attacking. I got a bunch of people mad at me because of Twitter. Uh, GibsonRadio.com. Go there, get the podcast, the podcast, the podcast, the podcast. Please do bump my podcast numbers up. I'd sure appreciate it. Uh, don't forget the worldwide online chat. I'm on there. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Gibson Radio. I just been in a couple of uh, fights with uh, teenage girls who think uh, Trayvon was... That's who you're picking on? Well, I don't know what they think. It's just so amazing what people think. Uh, At Gibson Radio, that's my Twitter handle. Also, uh, please, your smartphone, uh, Fox News Radio, listen to us live on your smartphone. Uh, Tony in Tennessee, you're not offended by Trump uh, charging uh, election fraud? No, sir. I, I was never a Trump supporter, but I would vote for anybody but Hillary. And this is one of the first big flare-ups that I fully agree with. You got Acorn, you have the IRS, you have all the stuff that's going on with our elections. And this made me want to go do that early voting next week way more than I ever had because it's just horrible with the media, with everything that's been going on. It is, I, I'm just a conservative independent. And for the first time, I feel good about voting for Trump just to stick kind of a put the thumb towards the man because it doesn't feel like we have a free election at all anymore. It feels like it's being kicked by the elites on the coast that have nothing to do with us in the middle. And we doesn't, it doesn't make us feel like our vote does count, which makes me want to vote even more. And for the first time ever, if I can add, my wife has never voted this election. She is voting. She can't stand Trump. But she's just so sick of the media and she's so sick of Hillary that she's going to go out and cast her vote for the first time. Thank you very much for listening, uh, calling, and voting. The song is No One Knows. It is the Queens of the Stone Age.
welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reese. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military Corner without a bumper. Exclusive preliminary results for the PFT are in. Here's what they say about the Corps' youngest Marines. An analysis of service most recent PFT scores provided to task and purpose under Freedom of Information Act shows that among the youngest devil dogs, the share of Marines who receive a first-class PFT score has gone down for the first time in recent years. The share of second- and third-class PFTs rose slightly. The news isn't all bad, even as overall PFT excellence is growing harder to achieve. Marines, on average, are improving significantly on individual events. And then they break it down, and they show a 17- to 26-year-old in 2013... First class, 76%. Second class, 15. Third class, 3. Failed, 4. Sample size, 10,835. So, still going to happen. <clears throat> Kids are playing games. They're not working out anymore. Report, the Air Force needs at least 164 new B-21 Raider stealth bombers. A new report from the Center for New America Security suggests the Air Force should build a minimum of 164 Northrop Grumman B-21 Raider stealth bombers. Senior Air Force officials are currently reviewing the number of bombers the service will need. Have testified before Congress, the service might revise its plan to buy a hundred bombers to keep up the fight. Hundred-year-old hmm. letter proves salty vets always thought they knew better than anyone else. I remember distinctly being stuck. At editing a public affairs attachment at CHU-based office space at Camp Victory in early 2009, a terrible trailer jammed with body funk, bad posters, and a decrepit dartboard when one of the soldiers, a newly minted E-4, already calculating his future separation pay, started muttering about the war in Iraq, our war, and how to beat the terrorists and servants. Just bomb them all, man, he said. Turn into glass. Then send the armored cab through like lightning. We're Americans. Let's do this American style. Well, specialist, you're definitely American, but you're not even close to original. Hell, you might even be related to this unnamed veteran from Taylorsville, Pennsylvania. A hundred years ago, this week, offered the New York Times a similar strategy to win the Great War. Let's call it the boom of the soldier. A veteran tells how to win. Oh, look, nothing has changed in a hundred years. Shit-posting veterans still know all the answers to winning all the wars, angry staff officer said. Task of purpose... Purpose contributor, angry staff officer, definitely had his finger on his vet's pulse. Let's parse the letter line by line. A veteran tells how to win. A veteran of what? Spanish-American? Nope. The Great War. 
There is one way of removing the summary menace, which seems not to have occurred to anyone, and that is by destroying the shipyards in Germany where they are built. Sure. Anyway, tell us, mystery veteran. This could easily be done in this way. Let us suppose they are in around Kiel. Very well. Assemble a fleet of 800 airplanes, well loaded, 8,000 airplanes, loaded with bombs, in charge of 6,000 American, French, and English aviators. Approved metal drop the bombs not only on the shipyard, but on the warships in defense of Kiel, reducing them to powder. Then let the Allied fleet proceeding by minesweepers take possession of Kiel. If there are any other subyards, treat them the same way. And this was an article from 100 years ago. <laughs> then he goes, so far we've been little brilliant strategy, only a brutal pounding back and forth of men in guns and trenches. If there had been a Sheridan or a Stonewall or Kirkpatrick or Morgan, a Stoneman or a Mosby among the Allies, we would have seen air this dozen light horse cavalry raids to Germany, destroying highways, railroads, bridges, munition plants, etc., and I'll be willing to wager my hat that Colonel Theodore Roosevelt with 10 regiments of cowboys without previous drill and the formation used on the planes would per- perpetrate, penetrate Germany from top to bottom, escape scot-free simply because their tactics would be new to the slow-thinking Teuton and da-da-da-da-da. And it goes on, and I thought it was just really funny because that sums up soldiers from 100 years ago to now. We're all the perfect generals. Okay, into our background music, news, and social media nuggets with the crazy woman's, oh, I'm sorry, woman. Emory doctors left the camera in my body after surgery. A woman has filed suit against Emory University Hospital as the doctors left the camera in her body. Suit filed in DeKalb County State Court this week claims the hospital and doctors were negligent. Lacrell Lockett of Stone Mountain went into surgery on December 7th, 2014 for kidney and pancreatic transplant. Uh, Unbeknownst to Ms. Lockett at the time, the medical instrument was left inside. It was a camera. Wow. Facebook's secret censorship rules protect white men from hate speech, but not black children. Another article on this. This stuff is freaking crazy. It breaks down how Black Lives Matter gets treated horribly. Protected category plus attack equals hate speech is the rules. We covered it in a previous podcast. This is a different version of it. And I'm only covering it because it has a picture of, on the left, Nazi and George Bush. Same shit, different assholes. Okay. But if somebody on the right has a Nazi thing they put on, that's not okay when referencing a liberal, not like just Nazi generally. Um, huge article. It was attached to this lady who's a BLM activist who has a blog, and this is her article. Mark Zuckerberg hates black people. It's kind of like Kanye West going on. Here's a well-known saying in the black community. You have to be twice as good to get half as much. This is sometimes referred to as a black tax. It means that black people have to work twice as hard as white people to receive a fraction of the payoff. So, for example, if I'm attending college, I have to get straight A's in order to obtain an internship that Chad could get with a 2.0. I guess all white people are Chad now. Hmm. If I'm interviewing for a job, I need to be twice qualified as Hannah before advancing for enough in an interview process to fail my drug cat test. Once again, where's she getting these names? Are those just like a, a secret black joke about white people names? I don't know. 
And if I'm community organizing on social media, I have to have twice as many Facebook accounts as white activists because Mark Zuckerberg straight up hates black people. That somehow, that argument didn't make any sense, but okay. Once on a status discussing safe locations for black families to live, I was banned for commenting, Canada are hella racist, though. The banning was a surprise since the comment was mundane, accurate, and buried deep in discussion thread. Although Facebook's community standards state the number of ports does not impact whether someone will be removed, I convinced myself the comment must have been maliciously flagged and taken down without human review. There's no way a Facebook moderator read the context of the discussion and thought it was warranted banning. Black mother, an activist. Of course, black mother, that makes it okay to be a racist. Or at least that I, what, that's what I hope. To test my theory, I found two racist Facebook posts, one deceptively racist, one flagrantly racist, and sent a few hundred of my followers to report for hate speech to see how Facebook would respond. The first post was an image of a police officer holding up a sign that read, Police Lives Matter. The second post was a status stating, Niggers deserve to die. I chose these two posts because content-wise, the meanings are identical. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know you're bent when you think that's identical. That's all right. I chose you to okay, you know why it's being identical. They both declared the opposite of what Black Lives Matter says. In other words, Police Lives Matter is socially accepted way of saying niggers deserve to die. But since most folks won't concede that point, see comment section for proof, I figure it would help me determine how many times a post needed to be flagged before being taken down. Police Lives Matter, Please Lives Matter posts reported over four times, but never removed from Facebook, not even temporarily. And needless to say, the page was never banned. Fifteen hours after the first wave of reports, my followers started receiving messages from Facebook informing them that the post wasn't in violation. The niggers deserve to die post was taken down in a few hours, and that page was also never banned, despite exhibiting numerous examples of hate. What I learned from this experiment is that black organizers aren't being banned due to faulty algorithms and hyper-reporting. Internet trolls help ensure a post reviewed, but white supremacy takes it from there. They're being banned by actual Facebook employees. So the more recognition of post gets, the more likely it will be reported, and more likely Mark Zuckerberg personally will ban it because he literally hates black people, she says. Outspoken organizers and occasional pariah, Messiah Andrews, was banned so many times that it prompted him to create an online petition demanding Facebook address the racist and unequal enforcement of their community standards. The petition, which was signed more than 6,000 times, laid out clear policy changes in Facebook for black Facebook users only. It also points out that transgender users continue to face discrimination being forced to use their dead names or risk being banned. The petition is addressed to seven white cisgender individuals currently serving atop Facebook executives. This includes notorious black person hater Mark Zuckerberg. She just goes on to say they should... At the end, she basically says, why don't we come up with our own shit? It, it, wow. Police Lives Matter is racist. How is that racist when Black Lives Matter says kill police officers? Fry them like bacon. You're using an apple and zucchini argument because you're the racist. Could Apple's next big thing be a car? I only cover this because I fucking hate Apple. California technology colossus behind the iPhone has confirmed its interest in self-driving cars. But experts are trying to deduce the secret secretive company plans for traction in the market or others have been speeding along. Apple co-founder blah 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 is dead. Speculation about the Apple car became stuff of myth. In 
In mid-June, Apple Chief Executive Tim Cook revealed the company is focusing on software that powers self-driving vehicles, referring to it by far the most important project in artificial intelligence. That whole thing scares me. To go in line with our stupid in the front where the guy shot himself, the Desert Eagle, to become a star, thousands watch YouTube prankster bury themselves alive for 24 hours in a DIY homemade coffin. Jay Swingler and Ramel Henry, who call themselves TFG Bro, built a DIY coffin before digging a grave in their backyard and live broadcasting it. Man, what the hell is wrong with people? Good freaking lord. Homicide suspect filmed himself during running gun battle that wounded LAPD officer. Again, I think live Facebook is the devil. New Georgetown Dean is a vowed supporter of Hezbollah. Ahmad Dalal declared, declared his conscious support for heroic Hezbollah. Georgetown University has promoted an avowed supporter of U.S.-designated terrorist group Hezbollah as its newest academic chair for the resistance. That was done by Hillary Clinton herself. September 1st, Ahmad S. with the dean of Georgetown University in Qatar, school that is funded with support from its host country. Talal previously served as chairman of Georgetown's Islamic Studies. Georgetown, Qatar is directly affiliated with the main campus. And this dude... Um, he is open of the Hezbollah terrorist group. He signed a 2006 petition declaring his conscious support for the Lebanese national resistance, Hezbollah, as it wages war against Israel, adding that a war to safeguard the dignity of Lebanese and Arab people. The statement declared Hezbollah murderers campaign a heroic operation. Good for them. Gonna have a dog gone. Wow. Later, oh, this one's good. Pledges support for a group called the Georgetown Faculty for Gaza, which essentially voiced a preference for Hamas over Israel. In support of jihadi group, all the Hamas rockets together have the destructive power of one load of M16. Nothing justifies killing on this scale. I still don't understand this whole fucking Palestinian thing. Don't fuck around with people with big guns. It's a good theory. Brain-eating amoeba found in Louisiana water system. Potentially deadly amoeba has been detected in Terrebonne Parish. And while officials say tap water is safe to drink, they're urging people to avoid getting it in their noises. Noises. Noses. Let's try that. The amoeba is present in the water. The amoeba, the Nigeria flowery, caused a brain infection and leads to the destruction of tissue. Its early stages symptoms may be similar to bacterial meningitis. We would caution the public to refrain from allowing water to enter their nasal passage. It's safe to drink, but don't put it in your nose. I would not drink it. Woman, this this one just sums up retail. Woman found dead in Oklahoma Walmart bathroom three days after entering the store. Walmart bathrooms are so freaking nasty. <clears throat> now you know why. Oklahoma police are investigating the death of a 29-year-old woman whose body was found inside a Sand Springs Walmart bathroom three days after she entered the store. Walmart employee discovered the body of Catherine Carraway, originally from Texas, Monday afternoon. According to Social Press, police said it's unclear whether she died under suspicious thing, suspicious circumstances, or she just died. 
Either way, she sat for freaking three days. That had to be right. In our social justice warrior craziness, teen vote intersex people are as common as redheads. Wow. Wow. Wowzy wow wow. Let's listen to this tripe. Hi, I'm Emily, and I found out I was intersex when I was 10 years old. Hi, I'm Hannah, and I found out I was intersex when I was 17. Hey, I'm Pigeon, and I found out I was intersex when I was 18. We're often taught that there are only male and female bodies, but there's actually a whole wide variety of possibilities when it comes to human bodies and human biology and people think that biological sex is very binary that just has to do with your genitalia but a lot has to go into your sex and into um, biological sex. It can be through chromosomes, through hormones or through sex traits. So intersex is just kind of to describe anybody who doesn't fit the binary ideas of male and female. Um, being intersex is not that rare, right? Right, it's the same amount as people born redheads. 1.7? Yeah. 1.7%. Yeah. So you just found out, you woke up one day and went, I'm both sexes. Okay. So from this, they did a Brown University uh, study, and they're saying 1.7% of the people, of the population, excuse me, is intersex. And the statistic allowed the magazine to infer that it may be just as likely that they are born intersex as born redhead. So let's break it down. Assuming the world's population is 7.5 billion, this means 100 million people are intersex, neither male or female. That is like super duper extreme. And that goes back to all the stuff we're talking about. All the stuff, they just inflate it crazily. It's actually um, 0.018 of the world's population. That's the actual statistic. But Teen Vogue didn't say that. <clears throat> so it, it it goes in line with this tweet screed by Zianna Jones, which I guess is a dude that's now a chick, or that's what I'm assuming. This is what she said, and I, and I think this shows the mental illness portion of this whole transgender stuff. And I, I don't mean they're mentally dis- disabled. I'm just saying that, that it's a mental illness. Because if you can't logically understand that some people wouldn't be into this, it shows that you've mentally made yourself believe that this is normal. When 0.7% of the country is transgender, you're a minority within a minority of gay and lesbian. But, this is her screen. I don't see a problem with telling straight guys who are exclusionary of trans women partners that they should try to work through that. Nobody has to be with anybody they don't want. And it's okay to have a baseline social norm of treating trans women as women. They are. Being exclusionary of trans women partners should be an outlier in a marginal position for straight men. Not some commonplace exception. These angry declarations that they have some absolute right to not want to be with trans women are just misplaced and inappropriate. You have the right to be a rude asshole, to refuse to examine your own beliefs at all, but that's not something to be proud of. I also don't believe the blanket claim of straight men don't want to be with someone who has a dick. There's some baseline rate for that, an actual true preference, but it's artificially inflated by so-called stigmas and biases. It's subject to the effect of incredible number of straight men 
who want us but refuse to ever admit it and cover it with transphobia. Turns out touching a trans woman body or genitals is probably way less of an issue than most people think it is. It's absolutely possible to work through this. It's a dick, yes. A woman's. A woman's dick. It's part of her body. All genitals are sort of funny looking. It's just flesh. You can possibly deal with it. Yeah. Okay. I responded to her. If you say it's natural to want to change your sex, and you say it's natural to want to have sex with the same sex, why is it not natural to be heterosexual? And I talked to the better half, and I think that's where we're going as a society. If you're heterosexual, and you don't discriminate or call people names or whatever, you just don't give a fuck if it's a guy or a girl. I don't spend my time walking around Walmart going, is that a guy or a girl? What a freak. I don't even pay a fuck attention. Most of the time, I would believe it's a woman because they dress up and have bigger boobs than normal women and they overdo their makeup and their hair is perfect because it's a wig and they wear fancy clothes and they're tucking. I won't sit there and decide what they are. I don't care. I just went in to get some fucking milk. But at the same rate, I don't want to have sex with a dude that has boobs. I'm heterosexual. If I were single, I'd want to have sex with a woman with a real vagina. That's what I'd want. Not a manufactured vagina. And I wouldn't be biased against you. I wouldn't discriminate you and not fuck you, because that's what this lady's saying. Because you're a dude that became a girl, I want a real girl. That's what I'm into. So once again, this goes back to this whole theory that because you're not into what they're into, you're the defect. But actually, the people that demand everybody to accept their shit, you're defective. That's not free speech. It's not free America. It's not free anything. You're expecting the world to accept it. And as I've ranted on this show so many times, that's like me demanding everybody to be a Green Bay Packer fan, podcast, and listen to Soundgarden. It's not going to happen. Nor would I ever expect that. Everybody has their kink. I have sexual kinks. I don't demand everybody to have their sexual kink. Be my sexual kink. Because that's the way it needs to be. You're idiots. Sassy the dog disappeared for five months. Cops found her 200 miles away. This is a freaking Pomeranian. She was grazing the backyard of her owner home at Brandenburg, Brayton, joined on January evening by her three canine brothers and sisters. But when 56-year-old Barbara Dawson stepped outside, it was gone. And they found it. 200 miles away. The thought that a Pomeranian walked 200 miles when my Pomeranian, God rest his soul, Nookie, didn't even want to walk to the damn food dish. Fox attacks Okani man trapped under four-wheeler, holds Fox by neck until help arrived. This is just some crazy shit. A Watkinson man had a frightening encounter with possibly rabid Fox on Wednesday. The Fox attacked the man while he was trapped under a four-wheeler. The Fox head was taken to Georgia Department of Public Health to check to see if it does have it. The attack occurred around 1.40 p.m. on a victim's farm on Hog Mountain Road. The Coney County Sheriff posted Facebook some information about the attack. Basically... Fox came, he finally got him by the neck, and finally somebody showed up to fucking kill the fox. That's horrible. Mmm. That's some scary shit. It's just scary. And since I'll be heading to the beach in August, going to 
Pensacola Beach for our summer rendezvous. Sand and fun out at Fort Pickens. Troubled waters. Swimming in a chlorinated pool can turn sun cream toxic, increasing risk of cancer, scientists warn. Deadly combination of chlorinated water and UV rays can reduce a compound in sunblock into toxic chemical linked to infertility, immune system damage, and even cancer. That's scary as shit. Because I've done it at the, the hotel pool occasionally. So uh, that's something to think of. Which takes us to our lighter fare. On the show, I've done numerous little references to yoga pants. First and foremost, yes, yoga pants make women's butts look nice. Um, and I'm a butt guy. There's my sexual king. Um, not like disgustingly butt type. I just like butts. Sorry. Some guys are boobs. Some guys are this. I'm a face butt guy first. That's, that's what I look at. And A, it could get me in trouble with my spouse, but nine times out of ten, this is a woman wearing yoga pants, drinking her coffee, full makeup. She's not working out. She's not planning to work out. She's not to do it. She's not going to work out. She's just wearing it so all the guys can objectify her ass, and then she could say she's being objectified, so I'm a sexist pick. So there was a actual article about it that I thought it was just hilarious. Tom Ford upset women no longer put effort into daywear. Tom Ford finds it upsetting that people no longer put as much care into their outfits anymore. The American designer has been in the fashion business since the 80s and launched his anonymous or ep- whatever. I can never say that damn word, so I'm not even going to try it. He's tried his great label in 2006, which has since become one of the most coveted brands in the world. Over the year, Ford has witnessed a transformation in the way people dress, noting women no longer wear day clothes anymore, especially in Los Angeles where ladies favor casual attire like yoga pants and t-shirts. I have to say it upsets me because, again, I'm of a certain vintage that I remember how people took care to dress, and when they got on an airplane, people today don't do that, he sighed to WMD, or WWD, which I don't know what that is, explaining spending time in the city of Los Angeles has made a huge impact on how he sees women's clothing. London is a bit of a bubble where both men and women still do dress in a throwback to another time, at least many women and men who have a lot of money. Obviously, there's a great young style here and people who don't have a lot of money who are ultra stylish and fabulous, but London is a highly bourgeois city where women and men who have money still dress in a way that developed many years ago. Quizzed on how he tackles this trend from a professional perspective, Ford insists the key is to create as many strong separates as possible that can be worn in an array of ensembles. He's still keen to focus on evening wear, too, with his dress favored by celebrities including Amy Adams and Reith Witherspoon. As I said, it's about producing those very potent items, he added. That's amazing jacket, that amazing pair of shoes, the things that you're going to have in your closet for 20 years. You pull it out, put it on again over a T-shirt and jeans, and it's going to look amazing. And then evening, beautifully constructed evening wear or leather. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Even designers, which I don't know who the hell Tom Ford is, because I'm a guy, they have a problem with the yoga pants. It may look your butt, make your, make your butt look nice, ladies, but you're just mailing it in. For Christ's sake. As I promised, we're gonna have a funnier die video, and then a nut, well actually two funnier die videos. One is making fun of the left and their hyperbole over the healthcare. 
another one making fun of CNN. And it is surprising, because remember, Funny or Die usually is dogging Republicans and Trump, and they had to shoot at their own party for the stupid that's coming out of their mouth. Additionally, I'm going to add for just some extra fun, Washington Post decided to dig into the children well again. Here's their video, dogging Trump tweets. These cuts are blood money. People will die. Let's be very clear. Senate Republicans are paying for tax cuts for the wealthy with American lives. People need kidneys. It's sad but decreed. Yet the senator's hoarding one more than she needs. I offer this bill and I hope you'll vote aye. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. Traffic deaths have many crying with fear. Over 30,000 people are dying each year. This modest change, I propose, must be applied. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. Alcohol deaths are exceeding comparisons. Black people, white people, Native Americans. We need to ban alcohol. It can't be denied. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. Murders are bad. They have no defenders, yet many are committed by repeat offenders. I say lifetime in prison, whatever the crime. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. I don't have a bill or a groan to detail. I just need a short clip for my donor email. Tim, there's blood on your hands. You want people to die. That good? Cool. Tim, dinner at five? Yeah. The car deaths I mentioned are terrible stuff. Doesn't seem one seatbelt is ever enough. You must vote for my act so that fewer will cry. Unless, of course, you just want people to die. The carbs, the container, we cannot ignore. Whipped cream's killing more people than ever before. This bill would be passed and be ratified if those people there didn't want people to die. Why not weigh all the costs, the effects, the results? Empathize with each other as if we were adults. Use our brains to craft arguments, not vilify. See that freedom's a traitor. You want people to die! I tried. Crossing the street is incredibly tough. People look left and right, but rarely look up. My bill. And what has gotten in to Russia's top athlete? Needles, apparently. But more on that later as we yield for breaking news. Ed? <clears throat> Thank you. Breaking news that's horribly tragic. If your children are watching, we warn you it's graphic. Our lead story tonight atop the report was Donald Trump eating chicken with a knife and a fork. Plus, this Trump supporter is 11 years old. So what are his thoughts uh, on? Are you reading the scroll? Who he thinks is best fit to lead us. Would he have voted for Obamacare when he was so, a fetus? I really don't mean to step on your staging, but it seems like there's war. Some battles are raging. Reporting the news. Is that not our vow? You know what? You're right. I'll cover it now. Well, the war continues. Yes. On Twitter, as planned, no. between Donald Trump and a Littleton man, oh the fighting is fierce, no sight of the end, follow it all on our app. You're watching CNN. What I mean is while we're reading these trivial mysteries, people are dying, we're losing our liberties, they're inside our what? Isn't that banned? Inside our hardware, I understand. Well, they could be in your phone at this very moment. Yes. Pokemons. This town's Pokemon oh going. Gosh. Plus, expensive beer. How hoppy's the taste? Fareed Zakaria. Well, copy and paste. Look, I really just think that there's stuff that we missed. Like, holy crap, is that true? Does that list exist? Cover the news. Shake up the ranks. The real news. Thanks. Well, it's a hidden document upon which fate swings. Yes. Fortune cookie fortunes. Who's writing those oh things? a man with no parachute just took a dive in today's most newsworthy instant. Of one flung from the sky. I know this is tough, so forgive the belittling. Rome is engulfed and we're sitting here fiddling. Executive orders, economy stuttering. These are the stories we're sitting here covering. There's war in Afghanistan, hurt in Iraq. You need five dollar footlongs for turkey this bad. Cut his mic. Breaking news. 
The war on whistleblowers continued today, and we'll update the condition of that Little League referee. Plus, it took the Olympics by storm. But what is it like to cup someone? Josh Duggar is in the studio. Russia must be laughing up their sleeves watching the U.S. tear itself apart over a Democrat excuse for losing the election. We must keep evil out of our country, out of our country, out of our country. Fake news, fake news, fake news, fake news. Who can figure out the meaning of well, anyway, enjoy! A new era in American energy hashtag been in the USA. Great news! We are only just beginning. Together, we will... We are going to... Hashtag... My God! Okay, usually this time I'm closing out, but I decided to end on a serious topic. And for those that have followed, you know, I, I, I'm from Oregon. And I think this is a very cautionary tale about how Oregon has changed so much. Being born and raised there, and, and I left in 85 for the military. When I came back, I found it to be such a different place. And the, you know, listen, I, I had people talk shit to me. In 2003, I uh, was stationed in the Mojave. I went home for a, a surprise Thanksgiving. And people kept talking about the babies being killed when I went to go pick up some wine. And I was in uniform. And having Vietnam guys say, don't worry about it. You're doing the right thing. They're idiots. Um, and it happened at a, at a Albertsons. Um, and when I came back in 85, I remember people saluting me in the airport because I was in my greens. Uh, it's changed so much. But since, you know, Trump has won, it, it has just been crazy. They're, they're the most violent city for protest. Um, slowly but surely, the political climate out there has been more and more to the extreme left. And a state that's so beautiful with the oceans, the mountain, lush valleys, desert, and the Oregon Ducks. Um, this one hits. Because it's Politico, how liberal Portland became America's most politically violent city. And it's about to get worse, say protesters on both sides. You'll notice they're going to go towards the Klan all the time. But if you watch your TV just objectively, folks, and I think Page and Oregon can admit this, it's the left doing violence. Not saying there wasn't evil stuff. I remember as a kid, something about a possum on a cop's 
front porch or something, a black cop when I was a little kid. So I, I know there was some racial stuff out there, but you could never say this is the Jim Crow South. On a cloudy day in 1979, a caravan of Nazi and Ku Klux Klan members careened in Greensboro, North Carolina, whining towards a local community workers' party protest that had gathered in the city to march against the state's white supremacists. The communists, wearing beret and hard hats, spotted the fleet and taunted the new arrivals a chant, Death to the Klan. The KKK convoy slowed and stopped. Far-left protesters bearing both wooden planks and concealed pistols began surrounding the motorcade, beating the doors. As TV cameras rolled, the trunk of a Ford Fairlane stuffed with shotguns and rifles pumped open. Someone yelled from one of the cars, You asked for the Klan, now you got them. 88 seconds and 39 shots later, five communists lay dead, eight other demonstrators were wounded, some permanently paralyzed. For a brief moment, the Greensboro Massacre became one of America's most notorious acts of political bloodletting. And yet, unlike Wounded Knee or Selma, Greensboro has, has over the decades largely faded from memory. Except in Portland. Among the fringe political groups currently waging battle in the Rose City, Greensboro is well-remembered, even idealized. It is increasingly seen as the inevitable end of an escalating violence that has rocked the city since Donald Trump was elected. Left-wing Antifa wearing red bandana masks along with far-left protesters have rioted multiple times and caused millions of dollars of damage, with threats from left-wing groups even forcing the cancellation of parades because it featured a float from the local Republican Party. Eager to push back against the opposition, white nationalists have begun mixing with anti-government militia members for free speech rallies. A man who attended one of these rallies would later stab to death two men on a train when they intervened to stop his anti-Muslim rant against two young women. The norms of protest and counter-protest, mostly verbal shoutings and sign-wavings, are quickly crumbling in Portland. The left-wing antifas even threaten preemptive violence in the name of defending the city from groups they say promote violence, which, you know, that's, that's the left right now. In Portland, Greensboro isn't a past mistake to be avoided, but a future class to be courted. Both sides mention Greensboro in conversation. Both sides know the details of the death toll, and both acknowledge Greensboro as an event that may well serve as a model for what's around the corner. My big concern is sooner or later is that we're going to have another Greensboro massacre-type event. Mark Pitkevich, who researches domestic political extremism with Anti-Defamation League, this is so unlikely to end well. The fact that Portland erupted as the epicenter in the Trump-era political violence in the U.S. is in a certain sense surprising. A liberal nirvana, a crunchy weed and hop city where Republicans and plastic bags alike have been all but evicted. Portland has embodied and outpaced many of the urban trends in the near early 21st century. Gentrification and co-ops, food trucks and footbridges, transitions to bike and pedestrian economy. It is as conspicuous shown as encapsulated a progressive paradise. Portland is a town levied, <coughs> leavened with a history of a rampant racial strife. As the whitest major American city, Portland blossomed in the lone state that constitutionally barred blacks from living there through the 19th century. That acted as one of the primary concentration centers for incarcerating American citizens of Japanese ancestries during World War II that relined as severely as any major metropolitan area. This, that in 1922 saw its chief of police posing alongside hooded Ku Klux Klan member that brought Jim Crow to the Pacific shoreline. 
It's the type of legacy city, the type of nod and wink encouragement of white supremacy that not only welcomed any member of the Confederate families to relocate to the region in the aftermath of the Civil War, but that towards the close of the 21st century saw neo-Nazis and skinhead groups behind the extent begin to extend their tendrils through the area. Before Portlandia, there was Skinhead City. In the mid-1980s, skinheads began marching through downtown hauling bats, pipes, and axes. Not long after the city birthed Volksfront, a neo-Nazi contingent that eventually expanded internationally. In 88, a trio of skinheads bashed Mulgate Sarah, an Ethiopian student, to death. The three all received prison sentences, with one tabbed as a prisoner of war by the other white supremacy groups. Locals began to push back. In 2007, a group called Road City Antifa took form, borrowing the shoreline's shortened form of antifascist for its name. The crew pointed to similar European movements, which had in places like Germany and Italy arised in response to fascists post-World War II. It all tapped into regional currents of anarchism and latent communism. These were the political strains that had sparked, among other things, the 1999 Battle of Seattle protest against the World Trade Organization resulted in millions of dollars of property damage. From its inception, Portland's Antifa contingent cloaked itself in anonymity. As a 2009 story in Portland's Willamette Week noted, little is known publicly about the Rose City Antifa, and little seems to have changed in the decades since. It's unofficial, uniform, compromised, blood red and black bandana and hoods. But the group doesn't keep any official membership. We wear masks because of instance of Antifa people who have been assassinated, said David, a member of the Rose City Antifa, who, like all political groups before him, declined to share his last name. Politico magazine... Uh, his last name to political magazine, Politico magazine. The historical examples are not recent, but they are well known in the group. Skinheads murdered a pair of anti-fascist activists in Nevada in 88, lured them to the desert outside Las Vegas, and local Antifa claimed that a 2010 incident in Portland, a shooting that left a self-described anti-racist skinhead in critical condition, was also politically motivated. For much of its existence, the group largely relied on shout-downs and public displays of force as their primary tactic. Recently, they've added the cyber weapon of doxing, exposing personal information such as address, places of employment, date of birth, and schools, even if it means innocent families mistakenly targeted by Antifa begin receiving threats. Such tactics have been effective because they raise the cost of participation. Stanislav Zlosky, who researches political extremism with the University of Wisconsin, told Political Magazine. But now for Antifa, it's not enough to simply outscream their opposition. Rather, those far-right forces must, in a bizarre nod to the Bush doctrine, be preventively denied a voice from the outset. We are unapologetic about the reality that fighting fascism at points requires physical res- militancy, the Facebook page reads, anti-fascism by nature a form of self-defense. The goal of fascism is to exterminate the vast majority of human beings. The group does not specify what physical militancy means, but their page makes clear that the definition includes any means necessary. We're seeing more people be like, what's Antifa actually about? Do you just like going and smashing Starbucks windows, David said? And no, we don't smash Starbucks window most of the time. Or as one of the Rose City Antifa Facebook profile pictures read, set favors phasers to kill. 
Unsurprisingly, Antifa assault-related tactics, despite their continued usage, have proven less than effective, according to those who closely follow political extremism in the U.S. It just makes Antifa feel good. They think they made a point, the ADL's Pitclav said. But their tactics are counterproductive. They haven't made any dent over the years with those tactics, and it gives the white supremacists an unbelievable amount of publicity. After all, a lack of anti-Nazi brawl and bash protests weren't the reason fascists rose to the fore in Germany and Italy, and there's little reason to think that depriving neo-Nazis of their First Amendment rights will prove any more successful than the myriad pre-World War II street balls, brawls that failed to slow the rise of fascism in Europe. Pick cleaves points out that the far right has been far deadlier, far more corrosive than any American Antifa contingents over the past few decades. That's what they try to say. We're violent, but they were violenter. Okay. But Antifa tactics have only exasperated and inflamed far right rosters. All the Antifa tactics do is give extremists more attention, make extremism feel good, feel like warriors, and give them an opportunity to recruit. It's impossible to tell whether the Antifa protests have boosted the recruitment effort of the nationalists and white supremacists, but the group's tactics have not endeared them to mainstream critics on either side of the political spectrum. Shortly after Trump's election, anarchists and far-left protests rioted in Portland, bringing at least a million dollars worth of damage and resulting in the eyes of the Department of Homeland Security, a domestic terrorist group. Further riots followed Trump's inauguration and more in the months thereafter. Their actions conducted anonymously but brutally show them to be punk fascists wrote an editorial in the Oregonian. Then, in late April, and once again, the Oregonian is the New York Times on crack. Then, in late April, organizers behind the 82nd Avenue of Rose Parade, a spectacle, though, one of the more multiracial neighborhoods in Portland, received an email ratcheting tensions even further. Sent from an anonymous account, the email targeted the inclusion of Multnomah County Republican Party float. You have seen how much power we have downtown and that the police cannot stop us from shutting down roads to downtown. Um, Please consider your decision wisely. This is non-negotiable. Shaken organizers canceled the parade. The Atlantic Connor Friedendorf wondered who this faction on left will next label a Nazi or fascist in order to justify their own use of fascist tactics. Or as James Bucall, the Monoma County Republican Party chair, told Politico, the real concern going forward is that it it's a totalitarian sort of mindset where basically they're not going to tolerate Republicans in the city. When asked about the threats made to parade organizer, Rose City Antifa didn't blame right-wing provocateur posting on local leftists, although they did note that no one knows who sent the email. Rather, the group's spokesman characterized the cancellation as an overreaction. The email had some sort of oblique promise of some sort of altercation. They shut down the entire parade and then acted the whole big deal. Shortly thereafter, alt-right actors organized a free speech rally there, a rally attended by a man, Jeremy Christian, who donned an American flag cape, gave Nazi salutes to passerby, and a few weeks thereafter allegedly killed two Portlanders, defending the pair of teenagers from Christian Islamophobic slurs on a train. The stabbing of Ricky Betts, 53, and Talon Miller, blah, 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 23, also emboldened the Antifa protest who saw the Christian ability to speak publicly as a precursor to his violence. Having place where you can feel free to express these sort of racist, bigoted beliefs enables you to go and make rant on a train. 
It makes you want to defend yourself when people in the community step up against you. One week after the murder, Antifa and far-right actors clashed once more, this time at a Trump-free speech rally. Epitaphs soon transformed into the kind of physical violence Antifa had advocated earlier. Portland police said the counter-protesters at the alt-right rally sparked the violence by slingshotting bricks, rocks, and feces alike, forcing officers to unleash pepper spray on the crowd. As police chief <coughs> spokesman Sergeant Pete Simpson told the local Willamette Week in May, it's never been as vocal as it's been in the recent months. When they're not street gangs, the threat of violence is there. Or as Kyle Chapman, one of the alt-right spokesmen at the rally, said about the possibility of advocating violence, it's not such a bad idea, is it? This, after Chapman tweeted that it was open season on Antifa. And the likelihood of confrontation may increase in Bukal. The head of the local GOP follower follows through on its plans to hire militias, oath keepers, and three percenters, security at future events, a development he told Political Magazine he's still considering. What we're really seeing here, these very strong alliances being forced between oath keepers, three percenters, and white supremacists and white nationalists, Bolsky said, added pit cabs, the oath keepers especially, really, really come on strong against the Antifa. So now it's the question you know, only have Antifa versus white supremacists, but now you have Antifa versus a much larger swath of the far right, which really increases the possibility for all sorts of things going on. As of now, any possible dialogue of a negotiation off-ramp to de-escalate tension seems negligible. When somebody is threatening you with bodily harm, as many of these groups are, sitting down for conversation is not really something you want to do with somebody, David said. That's the unfortunate truth. Meanwhile, the next round of protests is scheduled for Friday in downtown Portland. The right-wing Patriot Prayer Group has organized a freedom march that is expected to attract white nationalists, neo-Nazis, militias, and white supremacists. The Antifa pledged to block them. The Rose City Antifa wrote on its Facebook page that this time, enough is enough. And I, you know, I really want to say, I... I'm almost speechless sometime about how reporters cover the left-leaning groups, the weather, uh, the weather underground, all those people, and now the Antifa. It's always precursor with Nazis. It's always precursor with right-wing violence. It's like the president; he would never condone, and this is not, you know, Obama, never condemn terrorist actions without blaming or bringing up the Crusades. When the right... Let's let's go back to Dylan Roof. When Dylan Roof killed some black people in a racist outrage, and he was actual KKK members, that was linked to every GOP Republican who had to condemn it. And then the condemnation wasn't enough. When a left-wing guy kills, or tries to kill, some GOP senators and representatives playing softball. You didn't see every Democratic politician getting asked questions. On CNN and MSDNC, NBC, CBS, ABC, you saw Republicans being brought on. How do we take down the rancor? I just played NBC blaming all this liberal outrage and violence on Rush Limbaugh and the takedown of Bill Clinton. And my question always is, 
why, after the Antifa does something, isn't every Democratic representative being questioned on, what do we do to stop this? Because that's the left. And when the Antifa destroys stuff, stuff shuts down free speech, when you had Bernie bros proven to be paid to go disrupt Trump rallies, as we showed on all the Project Veritas videos, that was never asked of any Democrats. And if you wonder why, over time, Donald Trump gets elected, American people aren't stupid. See, you in Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Diego, Boston, New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, you live in your bubbles and all you see is the right's evil. And you can't understand like Hillary Clinton, why I'm not up by 50 points. American people aren't dumb. They've watched it. They can see through the lie. They can see through the bullshit and that's why they voted for Trump electorally and omit California popular vote. It was only California that made her have a surplus vote, folks. They see through it. And as somebody put a meme up this week that I think was very apropos, you keep up with this shit and the crazy, stupid stuff the media is doing and the bias with no context and saying bleeding from a facelift is objectifying women. They showed a United States map all red. You'll elect Trump. Because American people aren't dumb. You're trying to tout in a political article something that happened in Greensboro in the 70s. A KKK thing. And I don't remember that growing up. I was a teenager during that. I watched the news. I don't remember anything about this KKK shit in the 80s. You try to link it back to justify violence by blaming some right-wing group decades ago. American people aren't stupid. They, they don't give a fuck about Greensboro. They don't give a fuck about Stonewall. They don't even know what it is. You try to educate them to justify shit. They don't know it. They know right now the people are on their TV calling for the assassination of the president. They know they watch Madonna because you simulcast it, say blow up the White House. They know that a guy who supported Bernie tried to kill people in an assassination list. They know that the DNC was caught rigging an election so Bernie couldn't win. They know the DNC talks about minorities horribly. And they know the media never covered any of that. They didn't cover the walkout in the convention. They didn't cover, they, they muted the booze when Hillary's name was read. They know it's just fake. And if your argument is the KKK all the time, well, I'm sorry, but the KKK was formed by Democrats. Dixiecrat were people who didn't want civil rights. And even though Lyndon Johnson was the president, Republicans voted in the Civil Rights Acts, not Democrats. Anybody over 40 knows that. 
the media tries to lie. So when a little tweet comes up from the president, which is inappropriate beneath the presidency, but at the same time, I remember Obama went and Galakafanaka's two ferns, and that was okay with you, the media, and had hip-hop DJ interviews. You counted them as interviews. Your hypocrisy just falls flat. You ask the average American in this country, white, black, Hispanic, in the center of the country, and they're going to say the only violence they see is the left. The only violence protests going on are punk-ass bitches wearing bandanas, breaking shit. How many Starbucks have been destroyed, and yet that guy said, oh, we don't do it all the time. Yeah, you do. The inauguration was tamped down because people didn't want to go because the violence two streets over. The left is very violent right now. The left is saying horrible shit that never would have been tolerated under Barack Hussein Obama. Just wouldn't have. And it comes down to hypocrisy. Portland, you're a bunch of fucking hypocrites. Oregon has turned into the most hypocritical state in the union. You're just hypocrites. You demand all this under Republicans, but you didn't give a fuck under Obama. You didn't care that he deported more people than fucking Bush did. You didn't care that he banned Iraqi citizens coming in. You didn't care that he was bombing the living shit with hellfires, killing whole families in western Pakistan. You didn't care. You only care when a a, a conservative becomes president. And the American people see through it. They're not stupid. You can demonize all week Bush. You can demonize all week freaking Trump. Bill Clinton fucked an intern. The American people don't forget. Objectifying women with statements is a big difference than being accused of rape so many goddamn times. How many times was Clinton accused of sexual misconduct? I just, once again, it's sad to see a city that I used to call home turn into a shit town. You don't even want to go downtown. And that they've tried to eradicate Republicans and push them out of the city. What does that say? Is that America? Freedom of speech died in Portland sometimes in the mid-80s. There's only one speech. Lib speak. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends. Send an email with comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. foppodcastgmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast dot com. To see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see links to every episode on the episode release page and the blog on the blog page. Next podcast is going to be Friday, the 7th of July. Got a comment from somebody this week, smart ass. 
Hey, smartass, because you're an anonymous name. I am flyover politic with a K because flyover politic with a C was taken about about 10,000 different podcasts that no longer broadcast. But they booked it up. So for me to be able to filter it to apps like iTunes, Google Play, etc., you can't have the same name. So there was already flyover politic with a C. There's a flyover politics. And there was the flyover politics podcast. That was their actual name. So I had to come up with something. So I just put a K. Not because I'm a Russian sympathizer. Thank you, though. At least you listen to the show. I hope you all enjoy your fourth tomorrow. Kind of weird doing my 4th of July on Friday and then all of a sudden doing a podcast the day before 4th of July. And I'm not talking about 4th of July, but that's because I didn't know I was going to get this day and I did. And Wednesday's going to be booked up. So I talked about it on the show doing it Wednesday. I posted it as Monday. So you got it on the 3rd. Make sure you enjoy your family and friends. And remember, once again, regardless about all this crazy shit, even me gnashing teeth today, we are honored to live in the greatest country in the world. It is our country's birthday. Have a beer and a dog and enjoy it. Take care, friends, and thank you.